today's episode of What Happened When Monday. It's brought to you by SaveCade.com. And Tony, I think you have outdone yourself. Uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out SaveCade.com, you need to. Not just because we'll be able to save some money, but this video is off the damn rails. It's S A V E C A D E. Tony, how in the world did you come up with this? This is proof that you take drugs. Maybe used to. I don't know if I do anymore, but but I do need to say that when I bring up Save Kate, there's a shot of me that looks awfully fat on there. I don't know how that came about. Maybe it's the way I look, but I do want to remind people that you can stop wrestling with debt, put your butt in the seat, fast and easy, no credit check. To be a part of SaveK.com, Conrad. Well, and what's funny is, you know, the site even says Mortal Kombat, all of your debt. No more hard way or easy way, brother. Uh, maybe that old kitchen's got to go. Maybe you're desperately out of time to pay your house off faster. But well, we want to let you know that you don't need good luck and credit. Your credit doesn't have to look as good as the Z-Man did. And you can own a house with no money down, which is coincidentally how much money Evan Courageous drew. You can make this fast and easy. It can even be the greatest night in the history of our great sport when you skip your next two house payments. And maybe you could even lower your monthly payments, which probably would have been helpful when WCW was taken over by Bill Watts and he cut your pay, right, Tony? Yes. You can cut years off your loan, consolidate your debt, stop making the minimum payments. Believe you me, that will get you behind. And get a greater tax deduction, Conrad. It's all part of SaveK.com. And what I love about it is you can own your own home with no money down my favorite thing about the thing though is you fucking dancing and singing i'm not making this up tony shivani dances and sings you've got to see it even if you don't actually need a home loan or need to save money you've got to see tony singing and dancing at savecade.com that's s-a-v-e-c-a-d-e nmls number 65084 equal housing lender who was your favorite of the two were you more of a tupac or a biggie guy uh, I kind of, I kind of like Tupac. What's your favorite Tupac song? Uh, I want you. All right, there we go. I need you. I need you. Ain't no way ever gonna love you. But don't be sad. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Take that thing, motherfucker. Hold me. I want you. All right, there we go. I need you. I need you. Ain't no way ever gonna love you. But don't be sad. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Take that thing, motherfucker. Oh, bitch. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Jim Crockett for Starcade, 605 NWA, TV title, Cajun Army, the Bunkhouse Stampede, Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express Tactics, Turner, Barton, Mid-South Joy World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions. Tony and friends thought they win, look, Shivani's back again, World Title Split, Off-Center Stage, Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro, New World Order, and The Crow, Russo, Arquette, Champ, Vinny, Mac, Simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad, not your classy podcast. Watch a lot, try not to laugh, lowest rules, cat back. This wasn't the initial plan, Tom's like a good looking man. Quad like Bill, make a tip. Tommy, you come over here. What happened when? W-H-W 
Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday on the MLW Radio Network. And of course, the voice of MLW is here, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, how are you, Con, sir? What's up, Conrad Thompson? Woo! Boy, How's I tell you sound? what, you're, you're in a good mood this baseball season. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a good mood right now. Uh, but I'm sure after I watch this piece of shit that we're getting ready to watch, <laughs> to watch I'll be in a bad mood. Uh, it, it's good to be with you. Uh, uh, and I, I do this a lot, but I do it because I'm sincere. Thank you, everybody, for being out there for us. Uh, I talk to so many people, and it's baseball season, so the chance for me to make our phone calls for our T-shirts has slowed down a great deal. Uh, but the people I talk to, 100%. A hundred percent say, thank goodness you and Conrad are continuing the podcast because it's a big part of my week. And I, and I get some very good stories, uh, of, of people who just say how much of a smile we bring to everybody's faces. Let me say that this podcast, I never envisioned this podcast turning into what it's turned into. I don't think you did either. No. Uh, but, uh, what the hell, right? We're having fun. We are having fun and what we should thank, uh, our man, Cassio kid for hanging out the last two weeks. He just happened to be at the Conradison when we were taping and man, we got a lot of mentions for Cassio kid on social media. Yeah. He's got, uh, he's got a contagious, uh, infectious laugh. Uh, and, uh, people who don't know much about the Cassio kid, like you do. And I do, um, especially you, uh, know that, uh, in real life. He's just one of the funniest guys ever. He really, he really is. is. And, uh, you can hear him if you're into, uh, keeping up with Cassio. I think we mentioned this on one of those episodes. He's the morning show host for rocket 95.1 WRTT. It's Jimbo and Cassio here in Huntsville, Alabama. And you can listen online. Just look for WRTT in any of your apps or just throw it in your Google machine. Rocket 95.1 Mondays through Friday. And, um, I'm excited for us to sort of pick up where we left off with some phenomenal WCW 1998 action. It's the biggest year in company history. And we're going to be discussing WCW Slamboree for May 17th, 1998. That is the big piece of shit that we're going to be watching today that Tony referred to. So if you haven't already, man, fire up your WWE network. Click on over to uh, pay-per-views, WCW, Slamboree, 1998, and bam, there it'll be, Slamboree, 1998. Grasshopper, it's your friend, old commentary ninja. We will be back to those two fat guys in a moment. (laughs) But now we want to talk about LoisRules.com. One of the hottest sites on pro wrestling tees. They have all the shirts based on the sometimes funny stuff and gags here on What Happened When. Best sellers include Low Key Big Hog, Klondike's Glass Bottom Boat Ride Tours, Suckers Gots to Know, Hashtag NFLTG, and Tommy Young. Who said that? But make sure you line up the Celestial Stars with my favorite tee. Old commentary ninja. What you got to eat in there at LoisRules.com? Tony Giovanni done edit all here. Mm. Y'all got any biscuits in there at LoisRules.com? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to excuse my gardener, Carl. 
Carl, don't interrupt, Grasshopper. How come you not mow the lawn? Is lawnmower broke? Well, it ain't got no gas in it. Not like Tony Schiavone, who's full of it. Some people say he's full of it. I say he's full of shit. But some people say he's full of it. Mm-hmm. It's very true. So log on to LoisRules.com or ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW and be part of all the fun of what happened when. And don't forget, with every t-shirt purchased on LoisRules.com, Tony will call you on phone. Yes, he will. He promised he way behind because he busy fat man. But he will call you. I close with words of wisdom. Confucius say, man like spider, bound to have sticky hand after being on web. <laughs> Get it? Sticky hand <laughs> after being on web. <laughs> when I heard Tony Schiavone on the podcast, well, it made me want to take a Kaiser blade to him. I call it the Kaiser blade. Some people call it the sling blade, but I call it a Kaiser blade. Got a long wooden handle, kind of like an axe handle, and a blade on the end, shaped like a banana. Sharp on one side, dull on the other, kind of like Tony Giovanni. Carl, Carl, never interrupt old commentary ninja again. Those two fat guys get mad at me. This is what happened when with Tony Schiavone. All right, then. I reckon they ain't got no reason not to listen. This week, Cassio's not with us, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a little help from our friends. Well, my friends, maybe someone you know a little more biblically. Let's uh, let's tag her in. Let's do the countdown. Let's get to Slamboree 1998. One, two... Three, or do you want it the other way? Three, two, one, hit play. Controversy. Ba-ba-ba-bum. Power. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-bum. Sting. Ba-ba-ba-bum. Ooh, controversy again. Look, WCW's crashing down. They're tearing down our offices. We're going to be out of business in three years. It's slam re Oh, by the way, there's Sting! And, oh, there goes our office. I used to, my office used to be right there, as a matter of fact. Bret <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hart. And why would they put J.J. Dillon in this? Oh, I know. We're going out of business. That's why they're putting J.J. Dillon in this thing. Oh, there goes my office again. WCW been destroyed by the WWE. It's Slamboree, which used to be a Legends reunion, and now welcome to our piece of shit. Coming to you from Worcester, Mass, or Worcester, or Worcester, however you want to, uh, the Centrum Center in Worcester, Mass. Great fans on hand, and Conrad, uh, fans were pretty rabid for us back then, at this time. Man, they are on fire for Goldberg on this show. You guys are, are riding a wave here, unlike anything else. I think a lot of people would say creatively. Your best years were probably 96 and 97, but holy cow, the business you're doing here in 98 dwarfs anything else in history. Of course, by this point, the WWE has started to sort of turn the tide a little bit. Check out Bobby Heenan with his bow tie action here. 
Yeah. Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Iron Mike today. And tonight on this program, we are going to run the WWE into the ground. That's exactly right. We have made a challenge, Eric has, to Vince McMahon. Mike today, one of the most exciting nights in the history of our grand sport. What do you say? Well, Tony, i got to say this. We have Gary Jester. They have Ed Cohen. We have Craig Leathers. They have Kevin Dunn. We have Bill Bush. They have Basil DeVito. Wait, what the fuck am I talking about? No wonder they're going to win. They got some good people in place, and we got a bunch of shitheads. Anyway, we're going to hopefully have Mr. McMahon here. Bobby used to work for Mr. McMahon uh, many, many years ago. Uh, my, my question is, uh, you don't get along with Eric that well. Did you kiss his ass? Uh, because you obviously are not having a good time here at WCW uh, with Eric Bischoff. So tell the fans here exactly some of your thoughts about, well, I did work for Vince McMahon, and I like to say that he ran a great company. And I like to say that I was a weasel behind the scenes as much as I was a weasel in front of the camera. Uh, he didn't like it. We finally parted ways, but that's okay. One day I'll be in the WWE Hall of Fame, and you won't. All right, but the, the good news is, you stupid son of a bitch, is my chair is two inches higher than yours and an inch and a half higher than Mike Tanay's. As a matter of fact, I had to measure this motherfucker before this show started. Great show. Right now, let's take you to last week where Eric Bischoff talked about his brand-new podcast with Conrad Thompson. <laughs> I do want to say that I'm back. Woo! And I do want to say that I'm going to try to avoid all the questions like I used to do on that shitty podcast I used to do. <laughs> and now I'm going to try to avoid questions with Conrad Thompson. But I know it won't be easy because I know my friend Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> let me put on my glasses. My friend Bruce Pritchard sent me a uh, letter and said, listen, avoid most questions with Conrad Thompson. And if you need to. Smoke a joint before you start watching. You start answering these questions. It may relax you. <laughs> well, we'll see. But we knew back in 1998, Vince McMahon feared me. He may have been a bodybuilder, but I was a black belt artist. And let me say this, Conrad Thompson. I'll answer what I want to fucking answer because I'm the man that turned around the business and you, my friend, were not. And that's the way it is from the NWO. Conrad Go fuck yourself and fuck Huntsville, Alabama, because I live in Wyoming. Well, there it was from Eric Bischoff, the boss of our company. Coming up a little bit later on, we do understand that uh, we have a uh, it all set up for Vince McMahon to arrive here tonight in Worcester, Mass. Now, Worcester, Mass is not too far from Stanford, Connecticut, uh, and we're going to take a look at earlier today when, oh, shit, Doug Dellinger has walked out. Doesn't he know that when you have a gut like that, you don't put the belt underneath of it? I've often known that. Doug's going out to see if anybody wants to sign autographs for him. And there we see uh, Tom, Tommy Young's son, who is standing there on the left side. Uh, and again, as you can tell, Doug says, anybody want my autograph? And everybody says, fuck no. And he's standing around, autographs for free for Doug Dellinger, and those fans are pulling back. Well, that happened earlier today. We're also going to send Doug out to make sure that, uh, uh, that if Vince McMahon arrives in this program today, that, in fact, uh, he will have, oh, there you see his full access pass, and he will have a, uh, a way to get in. So that's the way it is, and uh, let's go to the ring with our first match. How about uh, Doug Dillinger, head of WCW Security, rocking a two-tone Rolex Submariner there? 
made sure to get a couple of tight shots of the timepiece. That was kind of fun to see. I mean, you guys were really passing out the checks here, were you not? Uh, apparently so. You know what? I, I, uh, I'm not a watch guy and obviously you are. So that, that kind of went over my head, but yeah, if that's what he was wearing, then that motherfucker was overpaid. Yeah. Wasn't it? St- stainless steel and 18 karat yellow gold Rolex Submariner. So, wow. Yeah. Not, not a cheap watch at all. Yeah. I don't know what it goes for today, but, uh, I'm sure well, was... well over $10,000. Are you serious? Yeah. Doug Dellinger was, is was wearing a watch that was probably well over 10,000 back then too. Yeah. It was at least a $10,000 watch back then. The f- well, I mean, what? Hang on a second. I don't even wear a watch. Yeah. I don't even wear a watch. I look at the time up on my phone. Do you think, Why? do you think Doug Dillinger had uh Henry Holmes as an agent? Maybe he had uh Barry Bloom as an agent. It could have. Yeah, they absolutely could have, you know, uh, Barry Bloom is still JR's agent. Here comes fit Finley. Woo. How young does hey, fit Finley look right here, man? This suddenly, this looks like Fit's son. This doesn't look like fit. Yeah. I, you know, I recently saw fit when I went backstage, uh, and the, um, at raw. And of course, you know, he's one of the agents or producers as they say, and I guess he works with the uh, divas, doesn't he? And the women. Yes, he does. Yeah. Right. And I was back there, you know, trying to be jovial, tell my jokes, you know, uh, rip on Arn Anderson, rip on uh, Dean Malenko. And, and Finley was like kind of sitting at the table with his glasses down his nose, kind of writing and he would laugh now and then. And I'm thinking I better not try to hit him with a joke because he may, you know, stretch my ass still. Because he's still a bad motherfucker. No doubt about it. I mean, this is not a band you want to mess with. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be, you know, an interesting show. Of course, in real life, what's going on here is um, in response to DX trying to invade WCW, it's really gotten under the skin of Eric Bischoff. And on Nitro, six days prior to this, he challenged Vince McMahon if he had the guts to show up at the pay-per-view. Well, in the meantime, of course... Uh, Stanford responds with a legal letter for WCW. And that is what we just saw Eric Bischoff reading live on thunder. And right. it's really the, 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 the thread as Bruce Pritchard would say through this entire show, you guys are talking about it up front, uh, right. and during all of your breaks and that he's been invited and we're expecting Vince McMahon to show up, even though Bischoff has made it very clear on thunder that he got a letter from WWF at the time saying, He's not coming and you had no right to insinuate. He would be there under no circumstance. Will he be there? And of course, Bischoff reads it word for word and says, but I just want you to know you're still welcome. So yeah, that story, the sort of the story. And I gotta say, man, it does feel really, really fucking cheap in response to the originality of the DX invasion. It seems like a really weak response. Does it not? Yeah, it, it does. It, it was, it, but it, it was what he came up with at the time, and it's something that I know you and he can uh, hammer out on his podcast if he will answer your questions. Uh, but I let me, uh, you know, I this was a very weird time for the WWF, and it shows me uh, how they were really reeling at this time and were really trying uh, to counter-program us. It never was in Vince McMahon's DNA to acknowledge the opponent. Never. He wouldn't do it. He was Coca-Cola. They were Pepsi. He was McDonald's. They were Burger King. 
He was always number one, and as number one, you just ignore that number two exists. Number two would always say, we're trying to be better. We're trying to be better than McDonald's. We're trying to be better than Coke. But Coke would never acknowledge Pepsi. But Vince McMahon would never acknowledge WCW in any of his programs. And all of a sudden, DX was going out and doing that. And I, I thought that was... That blew my mind. It really did that he would do something like that. And it just showed me how, I don't know if how much panic he had or how desperate he was. I don't know if those are the right terms or not, but it just shows me how things had changed at Titan Towers. Yeah, they really had. And I think some of that was actually probably laid down a few years prior when they started doing the Huckster and the Nacho Man and the Billionaire Ted Skits. Right. But man, they really amp it up here when they do the DX invasion and Meltzer sort of takes everybody to task saying, you know, that this is uh, childish and these on-air battles are childish and it really doesn't draw any ratings or enthusiasm from fans. And anyone who thinks it does, doesn't know the first thing about pro wrestling and suggests that maybe if you're into that, they should tune into Phil Donahue or Jerry Springer, who by the way, don't have television shows. When you first see, Eric Bischoff out here sort of making this grandstand challenge to Vince McMahon. Do you think, Hey, this should be interesting. Or do you know, this is a fucking mistake. I just rolled my eyes. Uh, I didn't think, uh, I wasn't sure whether it would play or not, but I kind of rolled my eyes and it, I, it got to feel it to me. It, it got a feeling that it got to be very personal for Eric, uh, in his battles with Vince McMahon. And because of the DX thing and the Huckster and the Nacho Man and all that, it got to be very personal with Vince. And I thought that they should just settle their score somewhere else instead of on our TV shows. Of course, the WWF is enjoying great success, having finally beaten this 83-week streak in the prior month when they put Vince McMahon in a ring against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that would be the first time that the WWE would win back. But then the next week, Nitro was in control, and now we're off to the races. It looks at this point by mid-May that you know momentum is certainly with the WWF, but business has never been stronger for WCW. It's at an incredible level, but they find themselves trying to counter-program it. So the Monday prior to this, the headline on Nitro is Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. But it's not enough to get it done. Raw does a 4.72 rating. Nitro does a 4.26. Now, it's important to remember that the Nitro replay is a thing, and the WWF does not have that. What sort of stock or value, if any, did people put into the Nitro replay, at least within the Turner organization? Uh, th- there was a lot of people that thought that was very, very important. Uh, I always thought that it was uh, just a way for the boys and the people who shot the show, and even the people who were doing Raw at that time to go back and watch what we were doing. Now, personally, I, di- I didn't think that much of it, but I guess they thought that they could combine the, the, the numbers and have a good selling point. But I'm not sure if that really was the case. I feel like we should mention here, we're talking over a really phenomenal fucking match here with Chris Benoit and Fit Finley. Hard-hitting as shit. We just saw a tremendous slam to the floor with uh, Benoit on the receiving end. We're going to see a lot of uh, pretty hard-hitting spots here. I've always felt like Fit Finley never really got his just due in WCW. Do you think that was based on uh, interviews, look, 
personality. It wasn't ring work. What was Fit Finley sort of missing in the eyes of the WCW fans that kept him from being one of the top guys? Because man, his in ring work, you just believed every bit of it. Well, it, it goes back to this. It goes back to the fact that to really, really be, and even go back to Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Eddie Guerrero had, to me, had uh, had the look and had a very good rap, so to speak. And Fit Finley was not that good with on the promos, right? And I think that I think that really really hurt him. Plus, and I'm not so sure uh, what time it it started. You know, Fit uh, suffered a serious injury too that curtailed his career. And uh, I'm not so sure what it was, but it had something to do with slicing open his his leg or something. Uh, and it was a serious injury. He had to have surgery. And, and it really kind of took him away from the spotlight as well. But you're right. The Belfast Bruiser was awesome. You always knew when you when you were going to wrestle him that you had to make it look real because he was. This match that we're, uh, we're talking over here actually won match of the night, which is, um, really saying something because this thing is packed. I can't recommend going out of your way to watch this one enough. And I know that we don't really spend a lot of time talking about Chris Benoit matches on here, but dude was bringing it. Yeah. And Finley, you know, there's, there's, there's something that, uh, Here's a, a backslide. There, there's some, there is a, a little trick in wrestling. It's not really a trick, but it's something that we really don't think about. Uh, and and, I, and I, le- I can't remember who I learned this from. Uh, maybe learned it from Ole Anderson or maybe Flair or something. And that is fans are really into, believe it or not, facial expressions. And when we talk about selling you got to sell not only with your body, you got to sell with your face. So when you snap a like this, which could be considered almost like a rear chokehold with the exception of uh, the crux of the, the elbows in the face, look at the face of fit Finley. He doesn't really have to put it on tightly there, but his face makes you think that he is right. because he's grimacing. He's, he's gritting his teeth. And that is such a subtle part. And look at, look at Benoit. That is such a subtle part of wrestling, and that's one of the things that makes it believable because, yeah, Finley was was stiff, and he did a lot of stiff things, but not necessarily there. But it looks like it is because he's tightening up his arms, and he's got the face on, and why not <laughs> finish it up with a stiff elbow on the trapezius? Just just great, uh, great worker. See, see how good a worker Chris Benoit is? And he's working with just his facial expressions there. These guys are going to go 14 minutes and 52 seconds. It gets three and a quarter stars. Here's what Meltzer had to say about it. If you're keeping score, that makes four straight pay-per-view shows where Benoit has challenged for a title that he's lost and six losses in his last seven pay-per-view matches. If you're confused as to why reread the notes about the Brian Pillman Memorial show closely, and it'll all make perfect sense. The blows were ultra hard, similar to an old Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin match, but with a slower pace after a chair shot, Benoit went up for a tope, but Finley caught him coming through the ropes with a chair swung like a baseball bat. You've got to see that. Um, I guess we should mention that the finish comes when Benoit is about to go for the diving headbutt. All of a sudden Booker T is going to come out and distract him. That allows Finley to nail him from behind. 
And seemingly it looks like uh, Benoit hits his head on the floor. They scoot him back in and uh, does a tombstone pile driver for the pin. And Meltzer would write, the crowd was literally stunned silent, not believing that Finley, who nobody knows, could beat Benoit three and a quarter stars. Do you remember Benoit being in the doghouse, so to speak here? No, I, I don't remember that. Uh I think we are putting too much stock in, into wins or losses on pay-per-views. Right. Um, uh, I mean, Chris Benoit could turn around and win a match, and you'd forget about all those. I mean, take a look at what's – look. oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> How, um, I don't think he could work a, a chair shot like that. No, not to the first like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, take a look at what they're doing now. I know the business is different. Uh, society is different. Take a look at what they're doing now. Guys are losing on Raw – Losing big time names are losing on Raw, coming back and winning at a pay per view, right? Right. So, I mean, we're in the era of, I, I really think because of of how much we have to put on TV and how many great matches we have to give them on a weekly basis. I think we're in the era. I think, and obviously Meltzer disagrees, in the era of wins and losses not meaning as much as the actual drama between wrestlers. Let me, uh, let me sort of smarten everybody up to what Dave was alluding to there at the end of April. So about almost three weeks prior to this, there was a Brian Pillman Memorial show. The very first one in Norwood, Ohio, more than $25,000 was raised there for his family. Steve Austin and Sonny represented the WWF, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho headlined the show, Terry Taylor, Mortis, Al Snow, Chris Candido, lots of guys were there. And the show draws over a thousand fans. Of course, everybody's mostly there to see Austin and Melanie Pillman was just a few days away from giving birth to a child that Brian never knew about. And she's there. But the real story is this is woman's first time publicly appearing with Chris Benoit since she was fired by WCW and she manages him here at this show as well. And it's been said that her appearance that day looked like she'd lost a lot of weight and was in tremendous shape. Meltzer would write, if you've ever tried to figure out the Benoit mystery, why he gets such crowd response and why he has great matches, but why he's in the position he's in and used the way he is, that detail being revealed may prove to be an important part of the answer of that mystery. So the insinuation here is because Benoit's run off with uh, Nancy Kevin Sullivan's making sure that his ass is getting held down and squashed as often as he can. Yeah. The, the, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of truth into that. There really, really is, but he's not getting squashed. He, he He's losing matches, right? right. He, getting squashed and losing matches, Conrad are two different things. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But he, he, I mean, he, man, look at this crippler cross face into the bottom rope. Just did a lot of, a lot of really good shit. And, you know, he was, I'm sure he was making good money. It, it goes back to, you know, you mentioned something about how they had, uh, we had Hulk Hogan against the macho man, Randy Savage. And, and you know, something, and they had uh, Mr. McMahon against, uh, look at the fans here. They're buying this shit, buddy. When he goes, whoa, here, here come looking. Suckers got to know as only he can look coming into the ring. Uh, I want to get into something here in a minute. We, we will, but uh, this is the uh, 
really the uh, the angle, I guess, that or the uh, finished here. Holy shit. <laughs> Give that man a neck brace. Holy fuck. How about that? Hey, I'm going to kick you in the back of the head. Don't worry. It won't hurt. <laughs> right. He. By the way, he ain't getting up. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I don't know if we're going to show that on the replay or not because we didn't have Kevin Dunn. We had Craig Leathers. But uh, <laughs> we uh, we absolutely should. Man, alive. I guess we should mention here that um, this angle that you guys are going to be playing all night here with uh, WCW thinking that Vince McMahon might actually show up to answer Eric Bischoff's challenge. Yeah. Was, was addressed on the prior Monday where Bischoff's out on a bike and, and calling, um, you know, this DX invasion and all those guys wannabes, uh, and McMahon's puppets. And he refused to apologize to Sean Waltman who had asked for an apology and Meltzer sort of defends Waltman in this and says, Hey, he had a broken freaking neck. Fit feeling gets the win here. He had a broken freaking neck suffered in your ring. And you fired him while he was hurt for working with you, um, just as a way to sort of get back at his buddies and not because he actually did anything wrong. You were right. there. Was there any sympathy for the way the whole Waltman firing was handled around this time? Yeah, plenty. Absolutely plenty. I mean, I, we all thought it was wrong because the one, two, three kid, which I always call him that, well, holy shit, there's the replay, uh, was not only a great kid, but a great worker. And, uh, it was all handled the wrong way. And, well, they got the right replays. I have to give them that. They got the chair shot. They got the kick in the back of the head. And then they get the tombstone, oh, the tombstone pile driver. Just, uh, Benoit took a lot of punishment in this one. And fit Philly gets the win, uh, here on slam And I do think Conrad, uh, we're going to end up going to the backstage area where uh, Lee Marshall is standing by with Chris Jericho. And they are also back there with uh, Ron Jeremy, who is on the a very thin Ron Jeremy, who is on the uh, on the uh, hotline. Uh, and uh, Lee Marshall. Just, one thing about Lee is Lee never knew where the camera was for some reason. I don't know why. See, Watch, he, he, he's kind of looking to his left and he's looking. Uh, he had good facials. Uh, it, and Ron Jeremy always did like that term too. Uh, and he always was looking up and never looking around. This was, I thought the beginning of a pretty good little angle, uh, for that cruiserweight, the battle best. Royal. I kind of forgot when we said we were going to cover this, that that was on this pay-per-view and when yeah. it got going, I thought, Oh shit, this is going to be awesome. I mean, one of my favorite WCW memories of the entire company, like the entire run, this stands out to me. Well, not this. Holy shit. What are we about to watch? Brian Adams coming to the ring accompanied by who? Mike Jones. Who? So there What's he is. What's number? 281-330-8004. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this is real life. We're going to get a fucking Brian Adams match on pay-per-view. Yeah. I'm sure I bought this pay-per-view because I was a dumbass at the time and I just bought every WWF, WCW, and ECW pay-per-view. But yeah, boy. I had to be feeling like this was a bathroom break. Yeah, 
Notice uh, who's in the ring there. Dave Penzer, who has a podcast. If you haven't heard of that, you should go check it out. If for nothing else, uh, he is not afraid to uh, pull any punches. So I can recommend that one. But the referee is a flame blade. (laughs) Yeah, Carl. I'm here to Uh, count three and eat mustard biscuits. Mm -hmm. uh, Carl, and uh, here comes the total package Lex Luger, who who obviously doesn't want to come to the ring here. Has Luger ever looked better than right here? I think this is the peak of of his, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think he's ever looked better. Look at that. You know what he looks like? And I often thought this when he was coming to the ring. He always looked like a real-life action figure. Yes, that's exactly right. That's a great description. I mean, a lot of times you would see, like, when the action figures come out, and you're like, whoa, he don't look anything like that. The Lex Luger action figure looks just like Lex Luger. Sure, because the action figure had the well-defined abs and the the pecs. Uh, it just and Luger was and it, Luger would get all oiled up, and it was almost like you had to do a double take. Like, is that shit real, or or is that a bodysuit? Nobody you know? nobody ever said that when I saw one of his matches, though. You know, <laughs> is that shit real? No, yeah, no, no, nah, I ain't real. No, you know we give Lex a hard time, uh, and really rightfully so because he had a lot of heat back then, and he was uh, with with the boys, not the friendliest of guys. Always was with me, but not the friendliest of guys. But uh, uh, we certainly hope that uh, that Lex's life uh, continues to go in the right direction. When was the last I know time you saw him? What's that? When was the last time you saw him? I saw him at that uh, that fan convention, you know, in uh, in Charlotte that I attended a couple of years ago that you were there. He's, trem- we knew each other. He's tremendous. You know, he is in such a good headspace. He's yeah. the most positive dude ever. Uh, yeah. I'm a big Lex Luger fan. I had an opportunity to spend uh, an extended period of time with him a few years ago, and he just could not have been more charming and more gracious with his time. Just a just a great guy, and I think he's one of the success stories in wrestling because you know a lot of his contemporaries are no longer with us, and and he still is, and he's been able to influence a lot of people and impact a lot of positive change. So. I'm proud to uh, have met him and know that he had sort of that second chance. And I guess we, you know, we're saying all this to say, guys, we're trying to entertain you. Hopefully when we're shitting on guys, uh, you know, that they're in on the joke too. And we don't really hate anybody and everybody's all good, you know, except no fucking ham yeah. cubes. I mean, fuck that guy. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. It's a show. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. I, oh, I did I see on a, uh, on a, I did say, oh, Mike Jones is going to get involved. That's going to change things around. Go ahead, Lex. Kick his fucking ass. Come on, for all of us. Put him out of our misery. Okay. Never mind. Back to the match. I forgot to tell you this. I pissed off another wrestler this week. Oh, God. Who was that? Well. (laughs) Oh, my God. He started blowing up my DMs, wanting me to clarify whether I said this thing or that thing or whatever here on our show on this show. Yeah. And I said, um, I have really, I don't I have no idea what you're talking about because it wasn't like exactly what I said. And it was sort of slanted another way. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. And so, yeah. uh, he, uh, oh my God, the world's worst pile driver mm. from Brian Adams. It's no, uh, yeah, I'm sure Lex is holding his head. That looked fucking real. Um, <laughs> so he messages me and uh, is pretty upset that we've been talking about him here. And he runs through Uh-oh. his philosophy 
when he does, you know, media or radio or appearances. And it's that he doesn't need anyone's help and he stays in his lane and gives his opinions. Uh, but he doesn't let anyone else's name come out of his mouth. And it was like a paragraph. It was like a diatribe and that private conversations, which I guess he thought maybe I had, uh, shared here on air, um, were, uh, were never shared because that's just not how he does business. And so it's like this big paragraph where he's sort of like wagging his finger at me about what to do and what not to do. Uh, meanwhile, uh, he has a podcast that nobody fucking listens to or talks about. It's not even in the discussion, but he's very self-important. And, uh, he wanted to make sure that I never talked about his show again, I guess, which I, you know, I think will be easy. Nobody talks about his show. Uh, so I won't either, but either way though, he writes this big paragraph and, uh, just one after another, you can tell he's like half hot as Bruce would say. And I replied, cool. <laughs> cause it's like, what dude? I mean, cause here's the thing when he tries to like, quote unquote, call me out on something. I said, you realize this is the same show where we say Tony Schiavone's penis is the size of a button on a fur coat. <laughs> like, come on. Like, are you taking this serious? Like you clearly have not listened. If you think anything we say on this show is serious, you've worked yourself into a shoot brother. Yeah, that's right. Worked yourself into a shoot. (laughs) That's a great way to say that. I, uh, well, you know what I, you know, I take away from that story. What's that? Thank God you're around to take the heat away from me. (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't think I'm taking it away from you. I just think I actually answer my fucking tweets, you know, that's, that's right. (laughs) I, I, I opened up Twitter the other day. I saw I had 17 DMS and I went, uh, I gotta log take a out, shit. log out. Log. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. I got baseball. <laughs> I got, I got shit to do, man. I got to sleep. And now that, uh, that I'm doing MLW, I got to, Oh man. You know, at age 60, Holy shit. I got more going on than ever before. Look at this. He rocked him. He rocked him. Carl says, ring the bell. How about that? Let's get it over with. Yeah, baby. All right, ring the bell. So, hey, what? How many stars did this thing get? Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked. I <laughs> what are we doing with our life? Of course, Dave Meltzer is going to review every Lex Luger match. And do of you want to ven- do you want to venture a guess as to what the uh, the rating's going to be? Well, I would think it is a minus three stars. Well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> Uh, Lex Luger beat Brian Adams in five Oh five with a torture rack after Luger clocked Vincent with the forearm. It could have been worse. Half a star. Wow. Half a star. Okay. It does win the worst match of the night on the reader poll though. Well, I can, I can, I can see that. I mean, look, we knew this was going to be the worst match of the night when they walked out. Didn't we? (laughs) Let me ask you. I love you for that. (laughs) Real talk. Yeah. Do you want to guess? what you think Mike Jones was making here. Like he does nothing. He comes out to the camera, looks right at it and says something about meat sauce and fuck money and whatever. Do you want to guess how much money he was making here? Uh, for this show or on a yearly basis on an annual basis, he was probably making two fifty three hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to make you wait for it. And just marinate on that. Hey, do you want to do a voice over here for Perry Saturn? Uh, well, I was went to a um, 
convenience store the other day. The lady said, you're going to come in here. You got to take the hoodie off. And I said, what do you mean take the hoodie off? She said, well, we make sure that everybody that comes in here does not have a hoodie on because we've had a lot of robberies with people's in hoodies. And I said, well, if you uh, talk about that, then I, I would think you were racist. And she said, no, you're a white guy. At least I think you are. And we've had a lot of white guys come in with hoodies on and we don't let them do that either. And I said, well, then I'm never going to come into a convenience store in Mobile, Alabama again. And she said, well, none of us in Mobile, Alabama want you at all. And I want to look at her in the eye and I want to say, my name is Saturn. I feel like he could do voiceovers for cigarette commercials. I probably the way my voice has been, you know, I, 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 I did that there when I, when I saw that, take a look at this ugly fuck. Oh, it's Dave Pinter. Sorry. I thought it was somebody in the stands. Uh, and take a look at that shitty bow tie as well. And uh, we are actually we're getting ready to have the uh, the cruiserweight battle royal, the best thing on ended, the show. Yeah, with uh, ended up being a pretty good angle, and also it it began with Chris Jericho coming out and doing a, an hysterical, hysterical uh, introduction of the combatants. When he said that Silver King is coming out, and in 12 more wins, he'll be Golden King. I thought I would fall out, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is some good ad-lib shit right there. Of course, I know he had notes, but still, you know, it, it, was, it was really, really good. Even Meltzer loved it. He says, the best part of the match were the ring introductions as Jericho ran Dave Penzer off. Jericho was hilarious. Billing Chavo Guerrero Jr. from El Paso, Mexico. Saying yeah. if you needed a hubcap, that psychosis will procure one for you. Same thing. Right. Damien painted his face because he couldn't afford a mask. He called El Dandy the winner of the Lou Ferrigno lookalike contest. He called Juventud <laughs> Guerrero the ugliest wrestler alive. And he claimed to have never heard of Johnny Swinger and said that he had absolutely no chance of winning. <laughs> I mean, just so many. I mean, you got to go see this if you haven't seen it in a long time. Like right here on Super Calo, he says, Did you ever notice his hat doesn't ever come off? <laughs> I'll, let's see if you can do better here. You freestyle these introductions. No, uh, listen, I can't do it. No, I ain't doing that, man. I I can't do this because I don't even know that. Uh, here comes Chavito. Uh, and, of course, uh, the uh, the angle here was that he wanted to break away from Eddie, right? Yep. Okay. I, I, I can't. Uh, let's just keep talking. I, I can't usurp Jericho and how good he is. But here's the pumpkin, man. Hey, Charlie Brown, it's the great pumpkin course this would end up being dean malenko he says um that the, the pumpkin man as you said went mm -hmm. from rags to riches from selling chimichangas on the street <laughs> i mean just one after another he says that chavo guerrero of course is one of the most famous bartenders in mexico we'll see how it translates <laughs> this is uh, the world featherweight uh champion which of course this is, is a joke on him being fat and now he's oh. saying Juventud pulled up in like a 68 El Camino Chevy, the ugliest man <laughs> in our sport today, which you would probably disagree with. Yeah, I thought he was a very handsome young man. Nice eyes, very rugged features. People forget about Marty Jannetty here in WCW, do they not? Wow. Yeah, because I forgot about him. <laughs> I see him walk out and thinking, what luchador is? Oh, it's Jannetty. Hey, so Billy Kidman here, something I guess I never really paid attention to as a kid. Yeah. I guess they were insinuating with him scratching all the time that he was a heroin addict. Yeah. I'd never heard of that before, but I guess I was out of the loop on that. I my, maybe yeah. my 16 year old Alabama ass didn't know that yeah. you scratched when you did heroin. 
Well, yeah, I guess so. But th- that's one of those cases where that would have never uh, – something like that was them freestyling with the with the flock, right? That would have never that would have never passed mustard in uh, in the WWE, I don't think. And here's here's Silver King. <laughs> this guy is Johnny oh. Swinger. I, I love that's the introduction. Have you mm-hmm. even heard of this guy? I haven't. No. Zero out of ten percent chance he can't win. No chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he said <laughs> he said from the Vianos one through sixty five. This is Viano four or something like that. Yeah, he went four. <laughs> All right, Jericho's the fucking man. We've we've established that. We love him, and now we're going to see. There's there's never been a good battle royal. I don't think. Wait, let's do it. We got forearm, 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 <laughs> ass shot. Forearm, 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 forearm. Let it go up. Yeah, up on top. Forearm. Yep. Forearm. Forearm. Shoulder. Forearm. 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 There's another one, yeah. Forearm. 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 I hope somebody's keeping count. Forearm. 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 One of our listeners keep count of the forearm. forearms here. Forearm. 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 How did nobody notice that's all this was until Luke Gallo smartened us up a few years ago? <laughs> I don't know. Like... <laughs> His description, which we're just yeah. fucking blatantly stealing of exchanging forearms with the good brothers. <laughs> of a bat- like that is a battle royal. And as that a kid, is. I used to think it was the coolest thing ever. Now as an adult, I'm like, fucking Gallows has ruined it. He's right. It's just 9,000 yeah. forearms and then somebody jumps over the top rope. Well, if you think about it, in the cruiserweight division, they are known to fly, right? Get up on the top. Thank God that a super callow tried to do that. Right here. I mean, Super Cali. Whoa, we got a man going out. And the first one, nothing happening. Evan Courageous. Yeah, get him fucking out of here. Get out. Get the fuck out. Keep walking. Go back to North Carolina, you piece of shit. <laughs> I, I, I think that's what the referee said right there. I don't know if that's true. I was reading lips. Can you imagine that, that anybody takes this show seriously when we <laughs> yell? Take your ass back to North Carolina, you piece of shit. Oh, wow. You know, it looks like Chris Jericho was right. Johnny Swinger, he's out of here. You know, I, I because I've been giving Evan such a hard time, I, I thought for sure I'd get a DM from him. But then I understand he doesn't have a phone. He doesn't know how to operate one. <laughs> well, nothing so. happened to Evan Courageous. So I made you wait for it. Uh, here's what I wanted to talk about. I discovered this this week when I was kicking around, sort of beating up Eric Bischoff for numbers over on 83 weeks. And we mm. talked about the phenomenal contract that Bill Goldberg had in 1998. He was making half a million dollars a year when he set the world on fire. And 1999, when business went in the shitter, he was making $5 million. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but I looked up Mike Jones. Who? And it turns out, and it just made me chuckle when I saw him walking to the ring earlier and just sort of talking to the camera, realizing this son of a bitch makes $112,515 this year for literally doing nothing. But my favorite part of the contract is they break down, and this is all released uh, through a um, discrimination lawsuit a few years ago. They break down how much was regular payroll salary, how much was licensing, and how much was merch. Well, of course, nobody licensed shit for Vincent in 1998. Who needed that? 
but he did have some merch. And for the mm-hmm. calendar year, the entire year, all 12 months, his merchandise total. Do you want to guess, Tony? That's January, $5, February. $5.30. Come on now. We got January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, okay. September, October, uh, November, December. We got all that. All right. $18,000. 40 bucks. <laughs> Mike Jones got $40 in merch money, which is roughly one-tenth of what Ricky Morton made at the gimmick table last night. What the fuck is going on? Uh, well, that's forty dollars you wouldn't have had. You know where right? you know where he spent all forty dollars of that, right? No, where was that? The Olive Garden, <laughs> getting that meat sauce. Meat sauce, yeah, yeah, and all he could eat breadsticks and salad. Oh uh, well, you know one of the things I noticed in this deal too, uh, when I was doing my my research. Is Jericho only did 234 grand this year. And I thought he was like the most one of, I shouldn't say the most, but he's one of, if not the most entertaining thing on WCW 1998. That's all Jericho got at that time. Yeah. But he got merch money too for January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. He had those fabulous Monday night Jericho shirts. I bought one. I love that shirt. You want to guess what his merch total was for 1998? $18,000. $27. What? Yeah. Fucking Mike Jones made more merch money than Jericho. How's that possible? No, 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 no. Somebody uh, somebody fucked Jericho. (laughs) No shit. Here's my favorite part, though. I'm scouring this, right? Because I was like, hey, well. What did Dean Malenko, who we're going to see in a minute, one of the most memorable angles of all time from WCW, what did Dean Malenko do? And so I see the number, but mm-hmm. then I look at his merch money and it tickled me how much merch money he made in 1997. So 97, he's the Iceman, cruiserweight champion, uh, working Halloween Havoc and Starcade, lots of fun stuff that he was able to pull off in 1997. What do you want to guess was his merch okay. money for 1997? Okay, so if Jericho makes $27 and Vincent makes $40, we're going to put him somewhere in between at 35. 2 bucks. No, no. I swear. See, I'm telling you. I I'm t- I don't know. I don't think anybody's cooking the books, but I think not all the things that were sold actually got listed. That's I'm, I'm that's I'm not a, I guess I am accusing people of stealing, uh, but that that's that's wrong. It, that's either them not getting what they deserve, or we not knowing how to sell shit, and it could be one of the it could be either one, right? Yeah, I'm just saying it's it tickled me. I I, I don't know what to say about Mike Jones making forty dollars. I thought, man, this is the highlight. It won't get any better. And then I thought, when I saw Jericho made twenty seven bucks, like, man, it's no wonder people were fucking jumping ship, going where they could make merch money, right? Good God, two dollars, <laughs> two dollars for Dave Malenko. Fuck, that is a. <laughs> so apparently he, he sold one action figure. <laughs> yeah, tw- he got ten percent of a twenty dollar action figure, or whatever it was. It's just unbelievable. So we're Jesus. getting down to our final four here. We got psychosis. We got Hooventude. We got Kidman. 
and we got uh, Halloween. Or is that Cyclope? No, that they we called him Cyclope. Play, play, play. Uh, but it ended up being obviously Dean Malenko. Uh, now they're doing some pretty good cruiserweight flip flop and fly. I guess you got to uh, once the ring gets cleared out, you can really do your shit. Uh, and Kidman and oh, Kidman goes out, and now we're going to see uh, Hooven to just uh, kind of jump over, and then we say, "Who is that? Oh my God, it's Malenko! It's Malenko!" Well, it's here's Malenko. the thing, you know, we're having fun with this, but yeah, if you if you didn't watch this live. You do need to go watch this with the sound on again and not just Tony and I, because they're going to have a conference here and you can see Nick Patrick and all the fans are sort of confused. Like, why aren't they fighting? What's going on? Watch the reaction from this crowd. Cause you're not listening right now, but you can see a, a physical reaction from everyone on camera. When Dean Malenko reveals himself here, one of the better moments, like I know you guys did this once with LaParka and DDP. And once here with Dean Malenko, but both times I thought it was expertly done. You see Hooven to take a powder here, uh, or as uh, Cornette would say, the Titanic battle Royal, where you just jump out yourself and here goes the, uh, the reveal. Watch the crowd, man. They're so ready for this. Yeah. Get a wide shot. Look at the crowd and Jericho selling it so masterfully. One of the best things WCW did in 1998. Yeah, well, Look at that's, the because we, that's because we had great performers. And, of course, Jericho doing the right thing that he should. He's bumping right here now. He's letting Dean Malenko take over. So the fans are really into this shit, man. And, of course, the storyline here is, you know, Malenko was desperate for a rematch, and Jericho would not give him one and had just been right. avoiding him at all costs. And the only way that he can get this match is to win the battle Royal. So he dresses up like Halloween or Cyclope or whatever they were calling him here. And, uh, then reveals himself and man, the crowd just went bananas and they're all still on their feet. They're ready for this. And this is a much more aggressive Dean Malenko than what you might normally see when he's like stomping a mud hole in in the corner. Yeah. Dean is usually very methodic, but, but he's really picking it up here. Fans are still standing many of them. And of course, as the match goes on. They'll start to sit down, as you can see right now. But still, they was a big pop. And uh, this was, uh, I guess Meltzer said the opening match was the best match of the night. This, uh, this, this had to be a close second. No, you're exactly right. You know, this does uh, do very, very well in the poll as well. Uh, it's the second best match of the night just by one vote. Um, and, and here's what Meltzer would have to say about it. Uh, Cyclope, who was Dean Malenko under the mask, won a 15 minute or 15 man cruiserweight battle Royal to get a title shot in eight minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, of course we know, uh, what's going to happen here next. They're going to go seven minutes and two seconds and Meltzer would write because of the angle, this match had by far the most heat of anything on the show. Guerrero was at ringside trying to show that Malenko and Guerrero had planned the setup together. And Malenko destroyed Jericho for several minutes until he was cut off with a hot shot and a senton. As Jericho went for the line tamer, Malenko reversed it into a knee bar. Malenko came back with a super uh, stomach block off the top rope, followed by his Texas Cloverleaf for the tap out. Three and a quarter stars. A, a phenomenal match and one of the better angles in company history. There, there's no question. And it's because of good performers. Now, you know, I see this. You know what I'm thinking of? And I, and I don't want to make this a, a 
Uh, I don't want to make this a WWE uh, podcast because the only thing that'll get you is on the network. Uh, but why are the cruiserweights or the 205s not as big a deal now as they were back then? I, th- well, I think we were in cruiserweight heaven right now. Well, here's the here's the reason why to me. Because you've got guys on the main roster who are doing all the things that aren't, you know, like here, your top guys like Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, they're not doing four fifties and moonsaults and corkscrews and top rope planches. Well, now in the WWE, you know, you've got your, your quote unquote heavyweight guys, uh, whether it's Daniel Bryan or Finn Balor or Seth Rollins, they're all doing all those crazy moves too. In this era, if you wanted to see some of those high-risk maneuvers, it happened in the cruiserweight division. And now those high-risk maneuvers are everywhere. Yeah. So what what makes them separate? I mean, what makes them special? What makes them different? There's only you can only turn so many flips. And and that's yep. not that's not to, you know, discredit the 205 live show. I enjoy the 205 live show. I know people online are going to call bullshit on that, but I think there's good matches on everything. You've just got to look for them and I enjoy some of those matches, but it's, it is sort of in fashion to trash it. And I don't really know why I think it's just because it's not raw or it's not SmackDown, but you know, I, I think once upon a time, a Ray Mysterio was the, the highlight of a cruiserweight, but now he's the regular world champion. So you've really lost the ability to sort of differentiate it. Yeah, that's true. And the fact they don't, they don't put those cruiserweights on their main show too. So I think it makes them uh, sub stars by putting them on a different show. Well, and that's the thing, you know, Jericho here is a cruiserweight, but he's, he's world champion, you know, heavyweight world champion in the WWE. And the same is said for Finn Balor. Finn Balor was, was, was here in 1998. He might've been in that battle Royal. I mean, he would have been one of the last guys in the ring for sure. But in 98, he's probably not main eventing against Hulk Hogan, but he'll have an opportunity right. to main event pay-per-views and, and raw and SmackDown. It's great that that change has happened and they're not just viewed as cruiserweights because in this era, cruiserweights as, as entertaining as they were, weren't really main eventing. And now those guys have an opportunity to, so on the one hand, I miss it, but on the other hand, it's great for the guys because it doesn't feel like their opportunity is limited based on what the scale says. All right, very well said. Meanwhile, all of this, some great uh, moves, counter moves, or maneuvers. and I, I shouldn't say maneuver. Every time I say maneuver, Court Bauer gets mad. He's not listening uh, to this show. He's done with podcasts. He doesn't give a fuck. I'll tell you what he does like, though, and that's MLW Fusion. And, man, I've been checking it out. I haven't been able to see them all live, but I do catch them on DVR in the next day or so. And uh, you guys have got some tremendous production on that show. Kudos to you and Court and everybody who's helping make that happen. Well, kudos to Nelson Swagler, who was a big, who had a big impact in WWF back at this time, and even before that, and Dan Bynum, our director, uh, and to even uh, Brother Love behind the scenes. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's ruining yeah. my life. You know, I, I'm used to taping uh, my Bruce show on Wednesday night yeah. or Thursday night, and can't fucking do that anymore. Thanks, Court. Yeah, he's a producer behind the scenes, and. Uh, uh, so yeah, which, which just goes to show you that anybody can make money in this business. If you try hard enough. Well, I mean, I'm a little half hot at core Bauer, you know, I got you and Bruce yep. into this fucking racket and he's booking them. I don't, I'm, I'm not saying a dime of that. What the fuck? 
Well, you're richer than all of us. Who gives a fuck about oh, that? Listen to that. You know what I wish I was rich in? Six man tag belts. Where's my fucking belt, Tony? I think we have found out where your belt is. What? Yes. This is good news. No, it's not good news. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I gave it away. But I know who I gave it away to. Are you fucking ribbing right now? We we were we were we were in the kitchen the other day and Matt was in. Of course, Matt's Matt Shivani is is one of your co conspirators in all of this. Uh, Matt comes in from New York. This is funny. Matt comes in from New York. We haven't seen him in a long time. He opens up the door. He walks in the back door, puts down his bag. He says, okay, we got to get Conrad's belt. I said, well, hello to you too, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. That's my first thing my son says. We got to get Conrad's belt. There you go. Dean Malenko wins. Fans go crazy here. Uh, so then we're standing in the, in the uh, we're standing in the, in the kitchen and Lois says, did you give this belt to Gary Gribble? Who the fuck is Gary Gribble? <laughs> Gary Gribble was, uh, the band director at Pope high school, Matt and Chris, Laurie, Jonathan, four of our five kids went to the band. Uh, and he was a big wrestling fan back then. You won't find him online. I don't think. Uh, and I think he's retired. And I think I presented him the belt because he was a big wrestling fan and he did so much to our kids. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Gary and say, Gary, uh, do you still have the belt? And if he has a belt, maybe he'll say, yeah. I said, Gary, I'll, I'll buy it from you for $200. And then Conrad, I'll sell it to you for a thousand. I'm in. That's a deal. You know, I just looked up old Gary Gribble. I'm about to uh -huh. post his picture on social media and we're going to ruin his life. If we don't get this, no, belt. don't, don't do that. He's a good man. Yeah. Well, do I, not do that. I found him and, um, let's see two years ago, one year ago, he was 57 and he'd been teaching music for 33 years. I could take him. I'm going to get this belt. <laughs> he may not have it. So why, hey, what did I, why did I, why did I that. say his name? Hey, so, uh, <laughs> that belt right there, I believe. Um, that we're seeing on TV right now, the cruiserweight belt being held up by Benjamin button himself, Mr. Chris Robinson or Charles Robinson, man, that hair's got, he's got it. Like he likes it there. Yeah. Uh, I think Shane Helms has that one, the hurricane. Did you buy that from him too? No, he's got it. I just said, he's got it. Well, did you offer him to get to take it? I mean, you obviously want every belt in existence. Well, that's not exactly true. Okay. All right. This is kind of unique. This is, I, this is way unique and I'm excited yeah. for you to sell this cage because a lot of people sort of put over how awesome the hell in the cell was. And don't get me wrong. That undertaker, Shawn Michaels match in 90 October, 97 was tremendous, but this is your sort of answer to that with a top. Now look at this silly shit. We've got the Vinnie Mac cam that we're seeing from outside the building and it's tracking a white limousine around the arena. From a fucking helicopter. <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, I, I don't, this was not live. Uh, this was done the day before or even two days before. I, I thought, and you know how you can tell is because, I mean, we went from the, we went from the thing driving in a helicopter to uh, a shot uh, of it being parked along the street. It's like the editing wasn't really that good. Uh, Doug Dellinger is going to go out, and I'm going to say a line here that I forgot I said. It's so great. He says, go ahead, hit him with it. 
I said, Doug, make sure to look in there. And if Jim Ross uh, hops out carrying his bags, you know it's Vince McMahon. How great is that? Yeah, that's a little. That was a little shot over the bow that time. But in fairness, though, they had been doing it on the other channel, and that's what I was going right. to talk about before. Is you know this prior week, Jim Ross was taking jabs at WCW the entire show, ripping on their headquarters being in an industrial park in Smyrna, right? Which really is kind of funny because you're acting like, oh, they they got these shitty offices. Yeah. And they beat your fucking ass for two years out of these shitty, like that's not a slam. And then he's saying, oh, WCW has got those senior tours over there. And this is moments after a Terry Funk match and a Vince McMahon match. Those guys are in their fifties. It's just, uh, it's outstanding. The, the way you guys are making the jabs on air in, in this era. Yeah. Yeah, it was all, uh, as Vince McMahon would have said back then, all in the, uh, the the friendly battles of business. He used to say that. Yeah, friendly. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is our uh, Bowery uh, street fight cage match or whatever. Page was fucking big time over at this time. Oh, big time over. On yeah. top of the cage here. What a cool visual. And this is really uh, one of the more underrated uh, eras for both diamond Dallas page and his opponent. Who's going to be Raven. I really enjoyed Raven in ECW, but this early Raven here in WCW is just tremendous too. Of course, he's been with the company, I think since June of 97, we're in may of 98. So we're still in his first year in, and th- this is, uh, this is good stuff from Raven. I thought these guys had good matches together. Oh yeah. Yeah. Scotty could work obviously. And, and so could Dallas, uh, and I guess this is our uh, our answer to uh, ECW, right? right no, now? no doubt about it. You know, we just covered yeah. Barely Legal a few weeks ago here on the program, and they had guys in riot gear at that show, just like we see here, coming to the ring. And then right. they're going to get in a cage, and there's going to be you know trash cans filled with weapons. And at the end of the match, they're even going to recreate a famous Raven handcuffed to the uh, cage spot. That happened in ECW. So much of this is directly from ECW. I've always found the Raven character to be fascinating because you've told us sort of behind the scenes. And if you've seen any real life shoot interviews with Raven or you've heard his podcast, which is available now every week over at Westwood one, this guy, Scott Levy doesn't feel anything remotely like this Raven character. No, Scott Levy was, uh, I really considered Scott Levy at this time, one of my friends in the business, Scott Levy, Steve Regal, Arn Anderson, uh, of course, you know, flair as, as always dusty. They, those were my friends in the business. And there was something about Scott Levy that was just, uh, a very intelligent, uh, very, uh, you know, you could talk to him. You could have conversations that wasn't about bumps in the ring or that wasn't about, you know, because, you know, the, yeah, wrestling was our lives, but we all often had other things going on in our lives. And Scotty was big into comic books. I've said before, uh, big into superheroes, as you know, that I am too. Uh, and, uh, so we had a lot to talk about and, uh, you know, he wasn't anything like, uh, uh, Scotty Flamingo either. <laughs> he really wasn't. I guess it's worth mentioning here that, um, 
this match is worth going out of your way to see. And I know that I've said that a, a few times now, but that opening match with Chris Benoit is tremendous. A, a fucking amazing opener. The heat for that Jericho angle is second to none. And this is not, you know, a classic ECW brawl. I mean, there's not going to be just buckets of blood and fighting through the crowd, but it is super entertaining. And man, they're going all out. When Diamond Dallas Page was slamming Raven's head into the top turnbuckle, which feels like a 1980 sort of outdated spot, they're fucking going for it, man. I mean, they were committed here. This is hard hitting fun stuff. It's hard hitting fun stuff, but the old school part of me says, why not juice a lot, right? Well, I don't think they were allowed to, were they? No, they weren't. And and that, and again, I, you know, during this time, I I had to, I had to shut that out. I I would look at one of these matches, knowing that they weren't going to juice unless for unless they got it the hard way by some, you know, who knows, uh, something happened that went wrong. I remember calling these matches, and I remember calling these matches thinking, I got to get into this. I got to get into this, even that there's no blood. Because, you know, I mean, I that's what I grew up with as a fan and, and started the wrestling business. When you got into a wild and crazy match in a cage, you were going to juice. And they couldn't do it. Uh, so I think that made it lack something. The flip side of that is these guys pulled it off. They really did. I guess it's worth mentioning that uh, the reason they're in a cage here is because Raven is sort of uh, taking WCW to task, saying that this is an unsafe working environment that's been provided by WCW, which is a little bit of a a shot at Shawn Michaels. And so he's going to have a uh, a four-man SWAT team around him, and uh, they're going to have to put a top on the cage. So that's how this was all set up, just to keep people from interfering, whether it's Raven's flock or some of the fans. And even though we're talking about how WCW is really looking for a way to turn things around and beat the WWF in the ratings, it's worth mentioning that the six days prior to this nitro had a house show, not a house show, but a live gate of $270,814. The idea that, you know, everybody's panicking in WCW, I mean, shouldn't be accurate. But I think people were so ratings obsessed that they kind of were. Well, it, it it goes back to this. Everything that we did, everything that we did was based on what number we can do for Turner Broadcasting on Nitro. And then again on Thunder. That was the, that was the whole focus of the company. You talk to Eric every week now. I know you guys just started. I, that's what I he may he may tell me. He may say I'm wrong on his podcast because he was on the front line. I was not. But that's my thought. My thought we were so had our head up our ass about Nitro that we weren't seeing the big picture. And that's why a television company should never own a wrestling company, even though a wrestling company, even though wrestling is a TV show now, not an arena show. I think it's worth mentioning here that Diamond Dallas Page is hanging Raven. Yeah, isn't that great? I don't know what's going on right now. You've got to fucking see this. <laughs> he's trying to kill his ass. What he's trying to do. And you know what? I, I'm not so sure that a hangman's noose is a thing that you can work. Well, I mean, you know, where you get that around your fucking throat, I know you, you, you're going to either have rope burn or something. Uh, yeah, I'm for sure. I think the only thing you can yeah. do is try to get your fingers in there and and hold right. tight but either way it's you against Jeez. another man it's uh 
it's an interesting match here. And, and what's always been fun to me is they would use, oh, there's a fucking VCR, yeah. a fucking <laughs> VCR to the head. Um, they've got like a, a snow shovel in one of these things in may, which is fun, yeah. but they've got a VCR, a couple of those aluminum trash cans that, uh, just really crumple to all shit and back. But in the middle of one of these trash cans, which are clearly just props that WCW set up is a bunch of like ripped up sheets of paper that aren't even rem- don't even remotely resemble trash. I mean, it couldn't have been more obvious that it was gimmicked with that paper. Yeah. That was the first run of our, uh, of our format that was torn up like at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so they just tossed it in there. Oh man, yeah, a trash can shot to the back of the head. This is worth going out of your way to see. There is some silliness in here, but there's some good stuff in here too, man. Yeah, uh, there there is, and and I also had noticed, uh, and I you know I I'm trying to think, uh, you know the uh, the fire extinguishers being used as well. There is uh, Dennis Brent, by the way, our photographer for WCW Magazine and the editor of WCW Magazine. When magazines used to be a thing, there is a thing called magazines for you millennials. I don't know if you remember those or not. I do. We actually, um, I used to subscribe to the WCW magazine. I was that one. Did guy. you really? Yeah. Hey, I saw your, I saw your Halloween picture recently. Oh, how great was that? Yeah. If you haven't already, uh, go check me out, man. It's uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. We teased a couple of weeks ago that, uh, I would post it. Well, it took mom several days to find it, but she finally did. And this past week for a little hashtag throwback Thursday action, I posted my 10, 11 year old self as, um, one of the nasty boys. Me and my best friend actually dressed up as the nasty boys for Halloween. Our moms made our shirts and we were, we were off to get some trick or treating done, man. <laughs> tremendous man i guess you were jerry sags back then yeah my buddy had blonde hair so he was brian noms okay tremendous what's funny is i think uh people were surprised i posted it like i'm supposed to be embarrassed that i was a kid as a wrestling fan i'm not embarrassed by being a wrestling fan as a kid much less a 36 year old come on yeah absolutely i uh i never liked cookie sheets Never like cookie sheets. I, I, I love I know cookie they were, sheets. I used one yesterday, and it was fucking no. tremendous. Those uh, chocolate chip, man. Okay. All right. I thought you maybe hit your neighbor with it or something. I'm talking about <laughs> – I used a cookie sheet the other day. I, I'm talking about they made noise. Boom, they make a lot of noise. Uh, but they uh, – I, I just I just don't think in the, in the context of reality, if we're trying to make this real, I'm not so sure – that they really, really hurt. Now, you know, I made a comment about that uh, during the course of this run, and I know Meltzer really took me to task on that. And I said, you know, the uh, the lid of the trash can probably doesn't hurt as much as we think it does, but it makes a loud sound. I said that on the air because I was watching guys take trash can lids and beat each other over the head with it, and it would go bang, 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 but then they would come right back and they weren't really selling it like they should. So as an announcer, what, 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 what the fuck was I going to say? I mean, if you get hit with a trash, if the trash can lid's going to hurt, look at the sleeper hold applied. The trash can lid is going to hurt. Then you ought to be down and selling it. They weren't selling it, but it would make a loud sound and people would respond. And I said something on the air about it. 
And Meltzer went on to say, I have no idea why Shivani would say anything like that. And I, I remember thinking, you come and do commentary, you piece of shit. But uh, that was just me being angry back then. I don't know. You sound pretty fired up right now. Uh, yeah, I can get fired up. I guess we should mention here that you guys did an MTV special on May 9th from Chelsea Pier in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And Dave wrote, it was so bad that all standards of bad for this industry have now become passe. The real problem is it was pouring rain and windy as hell. And the event was yeah. held outdoors. There were only about 40 or 50 fans watching announcers, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco acted as if they didn't want to be there. There were supposed yep. to be eight matches in a three hour special, but due to the rain, they only had one match, a 90 second bout where a public enemy beat high voltage and the rest were bad interviews, bad angles and bad weather. What do you remember yeah. about this horrible experience? Yeah, one of the worst days of my life. Wow. As a wrestling announcer. It really was. Uh, <laughs> it's the Yeti without his gauze. Uh, it was it was it was terrible. It was it was exactly as you just read. It was cold, windy, pouring rain, and we had uh, MTV producers that didn't know shit about wrestling that were trying to produce this show. Uh, and it was just, uh, I didn't want to be there. Zabisco didn't want to be there. And uh, it was a terrible show. And I guess, you know, I, I guess if we had a nice day on Chelsea Pier, we, it probably would have, we would probably would have been able to pull it off. Really would have. But it was just terrible. Horrible. I, I didn't remember the time, but it was around this time, huh? Yep. It was a, about a week and change prior to this. Yeah. Wow. Overall, I guess we should mention this pay-per-view got 58.1% thumbs up, 21.5% thumbs down, and 20.4% thumbs in the middle. What did you think of that? Would you go thumbs it, up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle? I'd go thumbs in the middle because of this match, uh, because of the cruiserweight angle, and because of uh, the, the opening match with uh, Benoit and Fit Finley. But then, of course, as as would be the uh, case in WCW, uh, the longer the pay-per-view would go, the worse the matches would be, right? <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, uh, now we've got, uh, of course, uh, here we got uh, the, uh, the members of the Riot Squad who are taking Diamond Dallas Page down using a freaking stop sign, or at least attempting to. Uh, and then we're going to see the, the reveal here, diamond cutter. We're going to see the reveal here of, uh, of Mortis. But I, I thought as great as this match was, and boy, he was just diamond cutting the shit out of everybody here. As great as this match was, I thought the angle with Mortis took too long. And when we get into it, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll show you why. Oh yes, sir, buddy. If you've got a. Fire extinguisher, use the motherfucker. That's what I say. Give and if you got a, a shovel, use it too. Give everybody a time cue so they know where we are here. Okay, I know you're a little bit ahead of me. I'm at uh, 112, 37, 38, 39. That's where I am right now. Right now, I've got uh, Billy, uh, Billy Sarah Silverman uh, counting out, doing the standing 10 count. To Diamond Dallas Page. And Riot Squad members all over the place. 
Meltzer would write, there isn't really a lot to be said about WCW Slambury on May 17th at the Centrum in Worcester. There were good matches and there were bad matches. Overall, I thought it was an average show held before a sellout crowd of 11,592 fans, which are 10,936 fans paying a city record of $352,035 and an additional 107,262 in merchandise. So yeah. pretty big money day for WCW only, here and a record. Yeah. And not only that, do you know how big of a deal it is for this Southern base promotion to go up and do numbers like that in new England, not that far away from Stanford, Connecticut. I thought it was a big deal to go up there and do numbers like that. And of course now, you know, we were hot, so we were doing numbers, but to go to Worcester mass at the centrum, which to me was like, classic wwe wwf territory diamond cutter was a big deal i think it said a lot about our business our business wcw not the wrestling business yeah good stuff and uh, silverman's doing a good job as a referee here diamond cutter he's administering the 10 count to both remember it's until one man cannot get up and we've got bodies and gimmicks everywhere that's a good shot, man. I like that. Hey, I got to go. Uh, kudos to Craig Leathers. He uh, didn't miss m- much shit here in this this one. He must have been getting better. Two and a half stars here is what Dave Meltzer is going to rate this match. He says that um, Mortis is not really going to handcuff the arms high enough to simulate the crucifixion position, but maybe that's by design as to not mock yeah. Jesus Christ. And he did, he did sort of make fun of uh, a canyon for wearing a canyon mask or a mortise mask and then a SWAT helmet over it, which is kind of fun. But, I mean, at the same time, nobody knew who he was. You had to reveal. I mean, right. if he just would have revealed himself as canyon, it wouldn't have made any sense. Nobody would have known who that exactly. was. Exactly. And if he'd have walked around with a uh, with a mortise mask on in a ride squad outfit. It would have been stupid. It would have yeah, it would have been stupid. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, make fun of him, if you will. But it was the right thing to do. And, and again, now, uh, I, I really thought that this now Diamond Dallas Page going down the crowd. I always loved that was always dangerous, though. Uh, did you know there was a, a Shivani rules sign in this audience? I saw it and I love it. And when we get back to the commentary side, I'm sure we'll see it in the crowd again because you see it. Yeah, my God. Facing that way. I, I think Meltzer disagreed though, because he had something to say about you. He says Shivani thought it was the first time a VCR was ever used in a wrestling as a wrestling foreign object, but obviously he either does or doesn't live a sheltered life, depending on how you view the situation. Wow. And he also took you to task for your comment about Jim Ross getting out of the limo to carry Vince McMahon's bags. He writes, Let's just say the extreme professional jealousy that spurred that remark is something that dates back to 1989 when Ross took over for Shivani as the host of world championship wrestling and is definitely not a work. Wow. Shows you how much that stupid son of a bitch really knew. You know, he is a stupid son of a bitch. You do know that, don't you? I don't, I don't think so. I like him. Oh, I think he's a fucking stupid son of a bitch. Hmm. Yeah. He really is. He says the bull rope here was used, quote, just so Dusty can let everyone know he's booking this shit. Yeah. Okay. See, that's how fucking stupid he is. It is. If you let, 
if you let your personal feelings, okay, and if you let your stooges tell you what to write, then you're not a fucking journalist. You're a piece of shit is what oh, you are. wow. Okay. You're being mean today. Yeah, yeah. You know, fuck him. You know, we like to have a lot of fun on this show. <laughs> okay. And we always say things in jest because, hey, we really like this guy. And we do all the rest. But fuck him. Okay. Because I know, I know what he knows and he'll, and what he denies. And that is he always put over his boys that called him. You know, um, there's rumor and innuendo that you and I are going to be doing StarCast, the wrestling podcast convention. I think you were already even announced for that convention over Labor Day weekend in Chicago. And allegedly, Dave Meltzer is going to be there. Are you guys going to be able to make peace? I mean, can we work out a Shivani Meltzer photo op? Oh, why should I do that, Conrad? Why should I do that? And as we see uh, Chris Canyon, and, and this is going to be the beginning of, you know, a great run by Canyon, who was a great performer. Why should I make peace? It's not making peace. Why should I acknowledge, shake the hand of a guy who's one of his main purposes throughout the nineties was to bury my ass. Why should I do that? I, was, I had a, did I ever tell you the story about the radio show I had? In uh, in Gainesville, Georgia, back in like 2004, 2006. No, I had a I had a radio show at a radio station in Gainesville, Georgia, a small radio station. It was called the Gene and Tony Show. My friend Gene Anderson, not the wrestler who's dead, but my friend Gene Anderson, and I did the show. It was a very, and we had a lot of people come on and promote their books and promote their shit. I got in the mail one day from this writer who had written a book with Dave Meltzer, uh, uh, some sort of book that Dave Meltzer had written. And I got it in the mail, and the uh, the letter said, uh, we'd like for you to, if you'd like to consider having Dave on your show, here's a copy of the book. We hope you enjoy it. And, by the way, I always was a big fan of yours, uh, your years doing wrestling. I don't know who the guy was. And you know what I did with the book? I put it in the fucking trash can that fucking day. Oh. Yeah. Wow, you, you've got me pissed off here today. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm feeling the same way about this fucking band guy who stole my goddamn belt. <laughs> you know, here's what, here's what I'm proposing at StarCast. Meltzer and fucking Bandcamp taking on me and you. <laughs> now, whenever Meltzer's in there, because he works pretty stiff, I'm fucking yeah. tagging you. But that band guy, I'm yeah. getting his ass. Well, I tell you what Dave Meltzer better have. He better have a fucking crowbar, and I'm not talking about that big nose gimmick guy. He better have a fucking crowbar, okay? This is why I thought this was fucking silly. Everybody know what Vince McMahon looked like. Yeah, and they got a picture of Waltman and Austin. It's just <laughs> hilarious. The Vinnie Mac cam with a black and white inkjet printed fucking eight and a half by eleven. What the hell? Yeah. And then there's there's the limo. Uh, on the security <laughs> camera. It's so, so ridiculous. We're waiting on him to show up. This is, uh, pretty silly that people are doing this on pay-per-view like this. I mean, people are paying money to watch security cams for someone to maybe show up that everyone who really knows what's going on knows is not showing up. Uh, but you know what? 
and we're going to see it here a little bit later on. I like the the fans counting him out. Oh, here we go. Lee Marshall backstage with Ron Jeremy's son and Perry Saturn. By the way, that looks uh, like Joel Gertner present day. Yeah, I guess it does, doesn't it? Lee, watch Lee look up in the air. Lee, look at the camera, Lee. Lee, how do you think? Uh, how do you think the pay per view is going so far? Great. It's- <laughs> you knew what I was doing. Come on. I knew exactly what you're doing, but I can't get enough of it. Well, and I can't get enough of these shirts, man. Cruise on over to lowestrules.com because uh, Tony's telling you that he's catching up and we've got some pretty fun designs over there. I think my favorite right now, though, is her sassafras. But I know for a fact that Francine is a big fan of the WHF and W shirt in the old school style of the ECW shirt. I know that our buddy Jay-Z, he's still rocking that Giganta baloney. But in honor of today's Slamboree, I think we should talk about your first shirt that you got from this store, Shivani, in the old school Slamboree style font that we're seeing here used for this pay-per-view. Uh, of course, Ric Flair, he's rocking the cat bath over in Atlanta. Uh, the Hot Tag Express yes. is picking up a little bit of steam. Slapdick Nation, I've seen a lot of those shirts lately. I don't know what's causing Flair hit at first to be on my social media so much. Uh, the hashtag NFLTG is actually on the back of your Shivani mobile, but the number four top sellers in order, number one, Tommy Young, number two, suckers got to know number three, Bill's glass bottom boat ride. And who could forget number four, Casio kid rocked this in his photo op with Mick Foley the other day. Low key, big hog. Check out all these shirts over at lowestrules.com. And before the end of the calendar year, Tony Schiavone will call and thank you. I'm very behind because of uh, my summer being very, very busy. Uh, I'm only able to call like one day a week now at the most two days a week. So I'm sorry about that. I will get to you. There's a lot of people I know that are on social media that says, I still don't have my call. Please be patient. Okay. There's a lot of things I don't have. I want. And I'm going to eventually get them. So please be patient. Like I'm talking to my kids. Two weeks prior to this, Mark Madden was fired from everything and was having conversations with Paul Heyman about what he might be able to do. But then he has a reconciliation meeting with WCW the day after this pay-per-view. What do you remember about Madden's hokey pokey situation with WCW here? Well, you know, Mark Madden, uh, with us, and online and on the hotline, it was just like Mark Madden is today. You know, Mark has said a lot of things to get him fired from radio stations in Pittsburgh, but he's always landed on his feet. Uh, but I, I just remember that. I Look, I Mark and I were friends. We still are. Uh, the Mark Madden that I really always thought the Mark Madden that you listen to, and people will probably take me to task for this, the Mark Madden that you listen to was not the Mark Madden that was in real life. You know, he was a, he was a, he was a character, right? Right. He played the heel. So, and he, and he did it wonderfully. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He was good at being a heel. Uh, here's another kid that was good at being a heel too, man. No doubt about it. One of the best of all time. Of course, we're talking about Eddie Guerrero, who's making his way to the ring. This is uh, going to be another interesting match. I do want to hit a few things. Uh, as we're setting this match up, you know, Dusty is helping with booking here 
And one of the ideas that Dusty's going to lean on is sort of uh, hitting the restart button on that Nikita Koloff Magnum TA best of seven series. And that's sort of what they're looking for with Benoit and Booker T. Is that, is that a Dustyism? Do you think that was something that he put together? It certainly feels like it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely was. I feel like we should also mention there's lots of folks sort of in and out of the business here with injuries and illness. Stevie Ray had been out with uh, hepatitis. Uh, Barbarian mm. also out with hepatitis. Uh, Scott Norton uh, had a situation where he had pneumonia and was in the hospital. Uh, Kurt Henning had his knee scoped. So did Prince Ikea. Lodi had ankle surgery. It feels like there's a lot of folks who are sort of going down here all around the same time. Is this from the schedule or is this just guys know they can sort of get paid to sit at home? Uh, I think mostly it's the latter. I, I mean, the, the, the schedule is always tough in wrestling, but look, the schedule ain't nothing like it used to be. Right. Back in the day, God, I'm, I'm really sounding old today, which I fucking am. I understand. Back in the day, you wrestled every day. You had to, or you didn't get paid. Now, you can take some time off if you need to. Not saying everybody was faking an injury. I don't know how you can, you can't fake hepatitis, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) That's the shirt over at LoisRules.com in the next week or so. (laughs) I'm going to make that shit happen right now. Dear dear pro wrestling tees, I have an ideal. (laughs) You can't fake hepatitis. Unless you paint your face yellow, I guess. I don't know. Um, But yeah, so so guys, so guys, we're, uh, we're taking some time off. I don't blame them. I, I don't blame them. It's the table that we set. We did. We set the table for this. Oh, just you just crumbled me. By the way, uh, <laughs> the the shirt is already uh, in production, uh, live, real time, right now. We're working on uh, it. Uh, Marcus Bagwell was also doing a little hospital stint here from complications mm-hmm. from quote unquote internal bleeding. Uh, Scott Steiner was out of action with a herniated disc in his back. I mean, there's just lots and lots and lots of people saying, you know, can't come in. You got a, you got a line for that. What? I don't know. Carrying the ham cubes to the, uh, the breakfast bar. Listen to you. Blew out his back. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Hey, I feel like we should mention here that, uh, we're in the middle of, um, the Ric Flair mess with WCW here. And it feels like. Every day we turn around, there's another little piece of news, including where the internet really first pulled together and voted, uh, Ric Flair as one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. According to people magazine, 17,145 votes poured in. And, uh, when Howard Stern realizes what's going on, he gets Hank, the angry drunken dwarf to get first place with 230,169 votes, which is pretty amazing because I think Hank's better in real life. I think Hank was better looking in Ric Flair. Well, yeah, Flair had beautiful children. I have to give him that roll tide on that. So Leonardo DiCaprio, who probably should have won 
only got 14,471. So the top three vote getters in People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People are in order. Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf, <laughs> then Ric Flair, and then Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course, people were mad about that, but it's still fucking hilarious to me. I just, it's, I it's love tre- that. It's tremendous. I, uh, I wouldn't read a People Magazine at gunpoint, man. No, I don't, I don't know that anybody would. Here's some of the things you wouldn't do at gunpoint. A lot of people are nervous since WCW's losing the ratings war for the first time now in a long time. And so people are starting to think maybe now is the time to bring in the ultimate warrior, Jim Helwig. At least that's Hulk Hogan's suggestion. And right. there's lots of speculation. Is he coming? Is he not? And some of the other people that they had maybe been feuding with, they start to settle up with, including Ray Mysterio Jr. He signs a new contract here, uh, a one-year extension on May the 4th. And um, they're having conversations with Kevin Green, somebody who they've done business with before. Maybe they could try to get him back in, and that could be sort of a shot in the arm. Uh, and even Dennis Rodman. They go out of their way to sign him here for the bash at the beach show in July. And everybody is, is thinking, okay, between maybe Kevin green coming back Dennis Rodman coming in the ultimate warrior, we might be able to get him in, in June. Maybe we're going to be okay. Do you remember this discussion of every, I mean, everybody I just listed, even Sid being talked about as, as coming back here, does Bischoff think there's a magic bullet out there? He's just got to sign him. Well, I know he's trying. Uh, personally, I, I I thought this, and of course, you know, uh, hindsight being what it is. And but I really thought this at this time um, that if business is going down, that means revenue is probably going down, and if that is the case, why sign guys who are going to demand more and more money? To me, that was defied logic. Now, you know, why not the ultimate warrior? Why not give him a shot? Kevin Green, I I like Kevin. uh, And uh, Dennis Rodman, I'm not so sure would draw anything for us with the exception of giving us that mainstream rub that we always look for and we're we're getting here at that time. Uh, Sid Vicious, I was not, you know, so cool on that, but... Well, and let's talk about that. I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning. I think a lot of people sort of overlook the heat there, but if Sid would have come in here, it would have been the first time he's been in the same company with Arn Anderson since that incident in England with the scissors, right? Right. It sure would have been. Yeah. And I just, you know, if you bring in guys who have a tremendous amount of heat, then, and guys who maybe, you know, weren't good guys to work with, what would it do to your backstage area that already had problems? Right. You know, Those were questions that I had in my mind. So they need the help. You know, DDP announces not too long after this pay-per-view, he's going to take a few weeks off to try to heal up and hopefully, uh, come back and do something with Hulk Hogan. Of course that doesn't happen exactly like that. Right. Um, it also comes out that Kevin Nash is going to be missing some time, not too terribly long after this pay-per-view because he has a concussion. Scott Hall is um, going to be back here tonight, but then a little later, he's going to take another break for three or four weeks for rehab. Uh, Wayne Bloom and Ray Trailer were both added to the disabled list not too long after this pay-per-view. Bloom with a, 
uh, a disc being removed in his back, which sounds pretty fucking serious. Of course, Ray Trailer's back also acting up. And Meltzer even says, from what we understand, WCW has something like 30 plus wrestlers under contract who are out injured. And that frees up opportunity for guys like Doug Gilbert to come in and work a shot. And you saw Marty Jannetty earlier. So when you see some of these weird names popping up, a lot of this is because, well, everybody's out injured. Well, not everybody's out injured. You know, some guys are, are, are just not a hundred percent and they're making sure that they, uh, uh, they get some time off that they normally wouldn't get. It's kind of like with all these injuries, I I don't, I'm not trying to make light of any of these injuries. I'm not, but it's kind of like insane. It's like the inmates running the asylum type thing. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah, you want, you want me to work, but uh, my back's hurting just a little bit or my leg is, I'm going to take some time off. It just, uh, we had established uh, this to, this to happen. And, you know, you and I are talking over a pretty damn good match here, really. Well, and you know, it's hard for us to really talk about the good stuff. And I know people get annoyed, but. Man, when there's a great match like this with Ultima Dragon and Eddie Guerrero, two of my very favorites, and of course, Benjamin Button's the referee, this is really, really hard to sort of do our thing with and have fun with outside of saying, hey guys, another fucking great match. And this feels like the story of WCW through 96, 97, 98. The undercard is outstanding. And then you get to right. the main event and it's womp, womp, womp. Right. right. Well, and here's another thought too. I'm not so sure great matches are what draw people to wrestling. Well, no, I agree. And that's going to piss a lot of people off, but it's accurate. Yeah. yeah. It's great stories that draw people to wrestling. It's great drama. This, uh, call- this, this match we're talking about here, 11 minutes yeah. and nine seconds. And, and Meltzer says due to the placement of this match, it had no heat at all. A fat fan taking off his shirt stole the heat from the wrestlers earlier. Technically, yeah. this was by far the best match on the show, but the crowd just didn't care. Um, right. Of course, in the end, uh, you're going to see what happens, and there's a little bit of a situation after. The match had, lo- had a lot of heat, three and one-quarter stars, according to Meltzer. Another really good match here on the show. Yeah, uh, uh, Dave Meltzer defined the word heat as you use it. Well, I'm sure he's talking. He still has he still has no fucking idea what the word heat means in wrestling. None. Anyway, enough of him. Uh, but he was right about that. I say the the fat fan taking off the shirt, and uh, I don't know if it's a placement of this match that that uh, quelled the fan reaction or not here. But man, look at look at Chavo, look at Chavo, man, or Chavito as we called him. And the fans were kind of into this. Great performer Chavo is, no doubt about it. One of the more underrated. You know, Bruce and I have talked about him on something to wrestle that, you know, the the only thing that hurt Chavo was having mm-hmm. Eddie and his family because realistically. Yeah. If, if, if his last name is anything else, people are talking about Chavo in a different way, but here, I mean, who can, who can go in his footsteps, so to speak, you know, no, no, you're exactly right. You're absolutely right. Eddie was the, 
the fine. There was a, a long family history there, but Eddie was the finest performer of them all. For sure. And, and Chavo, again, with that last name. But uh, this was a pretty good little angle here, I thought. Let's talk about um, Ultimo Dragon here, because it comes out in the Observer that Ultimo Dragon is not going to have to change his name because WCW is now going to fight the Ricky Steamboat lawsuit rather than just caving right away. And I thought Thank that God. was kind of fun, that uh, Ricky Steamboat suit. I never even knew that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, actually, Bonnie may have sued. Yeah, because she owns his name. Right. Which is a story for another time. Right. Uh, uh, Kevin Green wants to come back and, and be part of the four horsemen deal. Of course, the trouble with that is Flair's at an impasse and he's actually filed a counter lawsuit the day after this show in Charlotte court, attempting to get a judge to rule that would nullify his contract and allow him to join the WWF. And Mel's would write, it's pretty much known that Flair can return to WCW if he wants to. And the lawsuit would be dropped, but he's been hesitant to do so at this point in the, in, you know, Flair's career, did you think that there was maybe, uh, an opportunity for him to come back? I mean, uh, allegedly even creative is sort of floating some ideas where Nash would really like to bring Flair back and make him part of the fucking wolf pack, which never happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad it didn't, but it is sort of weird that. You know, he has an opportunity to come back, but he's not yet. Yeah. I always thought as we time went along here, because he, you know, he had come back once before. I always thought there was always an opportunity for Flair to come back anytime he wants. Now we're taking a look at Vince McMahon's uh, dressing room we got for him. And look at what's in quotes there. The reason for the ratings, Vince McMahon. Which is probably true about this time, wasn't it? No doubt about it. It was true. That's right. Let's talk about the silliness here that Meltzer wrote about this Eric Bischoff, Vince McMahon situation, because we're about to see more of it in a few moments. Of course, Perry Saturn's coming out now for the next match, which will be uh, another interesting match. What about the most important question of the week? Dave would write, who would win if they really fought? I mean, Eric's got the martial arts training and Vince is huge. But Eric's younger and quicker and knows how to deliver and punch and kick. But Vince is huge and Eric does have a gut and Vince is constantly lifting weights and is still huge. But Brett flattened Vince with one punch, but Vince let him do it. And he's still huge. Believe me with wrestling on Tuesday, that was the most talked about piece of conversation and the WCW offices. The story is that Eric who has fought real fights and real rings against real people would humiliate Vince in rapid order in the WWF office. Vince would end it quickly because he's a tough street fighter from the other side of the tracks. And that martial arts stuff doesn't mean a thing. And while following traditional rules does make one outdated today in this business, there is also one constant historically about promotional wars and how they ultimately end and what happens when the big showdown finally takes place Were people really talking about who would win a real fight in the offices. Uh, that's, that's, that's some pretty good stuff. I, uh, you know, I, I look at this show and I look at what Eric did 
uh, and how Eric, you know, in the backstage area, business-wise, wanted to destroy Vince McMahon. He made this kind of an angle on TV. It it makes my okay. Uh, I got a call from. I've, I've I've told this story before. I got a call from Scott Hudson after we went down, and Scott said tonight on Raw, Eric Bischoff's going to appear. And I'm telling you, Conrad, my head almost exploded. Right. It did. It. This was personal. This. I mean, uh, we made this kind of a little angle, but it was really personal with Eric. I don't know how personal it was with Vince. Obviously not that personal. Probably would have been personal had he lost the war. Uh, but the fact that Eric was able to work for him, I, I don't get it. I, it just blows me away. Uh, pat on the back to Eric Bischoff for being able to work up there. We're talking over uh, Bill Goldberg, who has, at this point... And you said it in commentary here. It's amazing the way one man Goldberg has captured the imagination of so many millions of fans across the world. And he is clearly the most interesting thing on the program here. He's the United States champion. He's taking on Perry Saturn and they're not going to do the usual two minute squash. They actually try to do a real match, which is kind of fun for a change. But, uh, the crowd is really, really into this. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got you've got to go beyond a two minute squash here because, well, first of all, Perry Saturn means something to us. And if Goldberg has a little bit of a a fight, it makes Goldberg mean more. It's it's important to go against a a star like this and not squashing. It's fun, though, that you guys really don't know what the fuck you're doing with him. I mean, I guess I I say that because on the Nitro prior to this. It's announced that, you know, Saturn is going to take on Glacier, and that's what they've built up, Saturn versus Glacier. And Goldberg is supposed to be here taking on Kurt Henning, but his knee's injured, so Kurt's out. So on Thursday, they cancel Saturn versus Glacier and instead start promoting that Goldberg is going to wrestle all the members of the flock one at a time, and if any one of them were to beat Goldberg, then Raven gets the U.S. title. And then when you start this show, that's not the case, mm-hmm. and it's just Saturn. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's one of the chinks in our armor. It really is. When you change shit like that, you confuse the fans, and the fans get, get the feeling that you really don't know what the fuck you're doing. And when they start feeling that way, you start losing your grip on the fans. You do. All these changes and all these last minute things and fuck. It it's not good. It's not good business. It really is not good business. Uh you know, you you talked about uh we really weren't sure what to do with Goldberg. Yeah. It's because Goldberg was a happy accident. It, what's that? It was a happy accident. <laughs> Nobody was planning this. This yeah. wasn't some grandiose yeah. thing. It's just one week yeah. after one week. Do we beat him this week? Oh, no. Fuck, he's over. Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Fans and, and you know, fans fans lo- love Goldberg because in the, he was the hook. He was real. Everybody else was, uh, was a show, was shit. Meltzer, this man, when he got in the ring, it's almost as if the fans were saying, you know what? I, I really think that Goldberg thinks this is real. 
Well, I mean, yeah, cause he did nobody smartened him up. I mean, he's hurting people left and right in this era. Uh, yeah. Meltzer would write the pop for Goldberg winning while strong was less than it had been anywhere for months, three quarters of a star. Oh. Uh, so not the, not a, not a huge vote of confidence, but people are into it and people started to submit their own booking ideas as to where and how to beat Goldberg. And of course, everybody's suggesting, oh, I could do it. Um, and according to uh, the rumor and innuendo, WCW is trying to sign him to a better contract at this point. They're offering four years at 2.4 million, which would be 400,000 this year, two years at 600 and the final year at 800. Of course, we know though, that Hulk Hogan would get in uh, Bill's ear, get him in touch with his agent and uh brother got a raise. He's going to make yeah. $5 million in 1999. Well, if we're going to give, I still think if we're going to give Goldberg at this era, 2.4 million, that, uh, Hogan should make more. It's my thought. I don't think anybody's arguing that really. Yeah. We should also talk about, since we, we've been talking about this, uh, McMahon Bischoff thing a lot that McMahon not only responded through his attorney to WCW, he had an internet storyline response to the Bischoff challenge where he wrote, quote, I consider Eric Bichoff's challenge a cheap and desperate tactic to increase WCW pay-per-view buys. I will not do anything to help WCW increase their pay-per-view buys. Therefore, I will not be at Turner's next pay-per-view as invited. However, if Mr. Bichoff is hell-bent on fighting me, then such a fight can be arranged at any time in any parking lot in the country, void of television cameras, photographers, and public announcement. Should have done it. Absolutely should have done it. Now, of course, if that if something like that would have happened in this day and age, somebody could have snuck in a iPhone and taped it without him knowing it. But should have done it. The um, the rumors for the Ultimate Warrior returning really continue to heat up, and Meltzer sort of freestyles that the idea is going to have him to debut at the July sixth Nitro in the Georgia Dome to set up a match as Sting's partner against Hogan and the Giant. And the general feeling is that Warrior Return will pop a hell of a rating at least once for WCW based on curiosity. And if it's properly done, um, it could work for a little while, but there is an over-under of when it comes to uh, a rather explosive end. Now, of course, we know that's not actually what winds up happening we, we get Goldberg and Hulk Hogan on July 6th. Do you remember hearing that there might be, you know, an opportunity to, to debut him there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard that, you know, we saw an ultimate warrior sign already in the audience here during this match. People are ready yeah. for it. You're not kidding. They're ready for it. You know what? Why not? It really turned out to be a turd, but why not? WCW in an attempt to, uh, try to keep up with the WWF at least tries to change their rating and they're successful eight days after this Nitro will go from TV PG to TV 14. You know, a lot of people say that, and I know this is sort of a crutch for Bischoff that the reason the WWE won is because you guys sort of had a restrictor played on you with standards and practices. And so you couldn't be as quote unquote reality based as the WWF could because they just sort of 
could go for it as far as pushing the line and pushing the envelope with, I don't right. know, decency. Do you think that's fair to say, or is that a cop-out? No, that's fair to say. And again, that's just an extension of what I said earlier here. Here's a Jack Hammer in the one, two, three. And that's an extension of what I said earlier. When you're owned by a TV company, you have the handcuffs on. And that's the Conrad. It goes back to what I've been saying since you and I have started this podcast. We had no chance. We had no chance to ever win this war. None. You can point to anything you want to point to. You can point to me saying butts in the seats. You can point to anything that Dave Meltzer says that we were doing wrong. You can point to Hulk Hogan. But the thing that you ultimately have to point to is that Vince owns his company and a TV company owned ours. We weren't going to win this war. There was no way. It was impossible to win this war. God bless Eric Bischoff for stringing it out and giving us some great years because without him, it, we would have, the war would have ended a lot, lot sooner. It really would have. And then, of course, we're sold to, uh, uh, you know, AOL, and they get that idiot Jamie Kellner in there who hates wrestling, and he completely shits to bed with everything. But there was no way we're, no way we're going to win this war. And Eric's right about that. You guys took out a full page ad in the, uh, advertising age magazine claiming to be the highest rated program in syndication among adults, 18 to 39 and 25, 54, which of course are the most desired age brackets for advertisers because people think they have disposable income. Um, of course at the time though, wrestling is not really drawing the type of ad dollars that it could be. And this whole entire campaign from WCW is really in response to an ad that ABC had ran saying that, you know, you don't want to advertise on cable. You need to be on broadcast because shows like home improvement are going to get a much better quality viewer than you might get with wrestling. And that's Hmm. always sort of been the rap on wrestling. When do you first remember hearing that there was sort of an anti wrestling bias amongst the advertising world? I think that it's always been that way. I, I, I heard about that years and years ago when, uh, you know, when the Crockett's tried to, to go out and get advertising. There was always a bias against wrestling. It's no longer like that. I mean, it, it still may be today, but, I mean, gosh, we got wrestling stories on the sporting news now and on ESPN. And, but there was a bias back then that, again, that it's phony, it's fake. And the fans are these toothless hicks in uh, smoky auditoriums in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, that was the uh, always a talk. Um, there's a, a talk in the Observer around this same time that says the contracts with the Nitro Girls are all coming due right now, and Dave is sort of freestyling that he felt like WCW had missed the boat by not marketing the Nitro Girls calendar and merchandising them you know, more heavily than they had been. And we're going to see a commercial in here for the nitro girls calendar, but he, he wonders if maybe that's still not enough. I'm sure you feel pretty strongly about this. They should have done more with the nitro girls, huh? Right. Do you know why we couldn't? Why's that? We were owned by a television company. There you go. How, uh, have you and Eric talked? and I know you just starting. Have you and Eric talked about the NBC deal 
that he almost had. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because we cover it on 83 weeks today. So go check out 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff today. And we cover the NBC deal that Eric had in place that you won't believe why it didn't happen. Well, I can tell you why it didn't happen because too many of the higher ups and Turner fucked it up. Maybe I'm wrong. The, no. the right answer comes up on 83 weeks, but that's my <laughs> thought. Hey, so check this out. We've got, uh, what we've been talking about this entire time. Bischoff is in here, shaved into a goatee. He's got his hair. Like he likes it. He's got hand wraps on. Uh, he's got an NWO shirt. Now they're going to introduce Vince McMahon. Uh, weighing yeah. an estimated 265 pounds from Stamford, Connecticut, ladies and gentlemen, the chief executive officer, Titan <laughs> sports, Mr. Vincent K McMahon. And no one knew that he would be, everyone knew he would not be walking through there. I, I always thought it was when I, when this thing went down and even re- reliving it here, like I have this week, I always thought it was, you know, Eric kind of always smiled and laughed. And even when he was reading the letter and doing the promo, had a big smile on his face when it came to promoting this match, so to speak. But when he got in the ring, he was kind of serious, wasn't he? Had a serious face, had a serious look to him. I always thought that was pretty cool the way he handled that. No, he played it. He played it wonderfully here. Yeah, he did. Of course, I guess we couldn't. I guess we couldn't have in in the in the terms of uh, the legal letter that we got. We couldn't have dressed up anybody to be Vince McMahon and Eric beat the fuck out of him, couldn't we? Was that ever a? No, I mean I think he could. I mean you on the other channel, the WWF brought out a little person in a Bret Hart mask, and they beat the fuck out of him. Yeah. Well, that's what we should have done. We should have brought out. We've already. I mean, we already brought him out. We should have brought out the Yeti dressed up as Vince McMahon. With a suit, I love and have you. him walk down. I love you for that. And get that. See now, see, I'm, damn it! I should have booked this match, Eric. You need to beat up somebody. All right, let's let's dress up, uh, uh, whatever his real name was, uh, and let's let's <laughs> let's put him in a suit, and you come out and just fucking knock him out with one bunch, so and says, stand on top of him. Let's count Vinny Mac out, asking the fans to count along here. It is kind of a cool thing that he tries to bring them in and have them do that. Yeah. I, uh, I like the count out. I, I did. I like the, all the fans counting around with him. I thought that was like, to me, that was showing that we're WCW fans and we're behind WCW NWO and we're behind Eric Bischoff. So we're going to count with him and they were showing the crowd and they were taking the shots. That to me was cool. That part, that was the only real cool thing of this entire angle. Meltzer would say, um, Hey, I was expecting a mannequin or a blow up doll that Bischoff would kick in the head. And supposedly that was the original idea. So maybe that was one of the ideas that you just freestyled. Uh, but he yeah. also said of this segment, since everybody knew McMahon wasn't going to be there, this came off badly, but I was actually expecting worse. Yeah. What a weird deal. Do you think Eric Bischoff's uh, ego here is is out of control at this point Uh, or or not yet? No. No, I don't. No. Was it ever, in your opinion? No. No, it was not. Okay. He was, Eric was, 
Eric was running the business, do, uh, doing it as he knew how. And uh, look, he uh, he was very good at being the mouthpiece of the NWO, being a, a jerk. But his ego running amok, no. Some of the other guys' egos ran amok, but not his. I mean, Hogan's ran amok, obviously, always. Uh, but no, I, I never thought that, no. I thought he was just doing the best he could to run a business. Let, let's also say another thing about Eric here, too. Uh, Eric is put in the position uh, and to run a business. He had never run anything this big before. Nobody had. Uh, so, man, uh, he did a hell of a job. And I say that for a couple of reasons. I say that, number one, because I made the, the best money in my life in the years with Eric Bischoff. And my contract negotiations with Eric Bischoff were the greatest contract negotiations ever. Well, because he gave you the money. Well, I'm, because I, I didn't, because I was making, compared to what I was doing, like just a couple of years prior to that, my money and the uh, the benefits I was getting from Turner Broadcasting were phenomenal. So I remember one time Eric and I negotiated my contract standing in the doorway of his office. I knocked on the door. I said, hey, Eric, uh, my contract's coming up at the end of whatever it was. He said, yeah, uh, let's renew it for this amount. I said, you got it. And I turned around and walked away. And that was my contract negotiation. <laughs> Just That you got was it. it. You got it. And that's it. You got it, man. And, I, and, that, and that's, how, that's how I was. Yeah, I was easy because I appreciated my lot in life, buddy. Yeah. I really, really did. Um. So, yeah, I uh, look, uh, Eric and I have, have not talked, not talked face-to-face or even on the phone since the, uh, the event went down or since we went down. Uh, but, again, I'm, I've, I had my greatest years with him. I, wait, like a minute, I tell, wait a minute. Help me understand that. You just asked for his number this last week. I gave it to you. I, t- right, I, gave, I, him, I gave him the I Iggy you were calling. You didn't call? Did you give him the Iggy I was calling? Yeah. I didn't call. Well, I mean, the reason it is, I said, Hey man, Tony asked for your number. I gave it to him. Just giving you a heads up. And he said, cool. I gave me the thumbs up. So I assumed you guys talked and I wasn't going to press you for it, but now you're saying, nope, nope no, I haven't I talked haven't. to him. And I was like, what the fuck? You just asked for his number. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's how I am. I'm just weird. I'm weird. Okay. I'm uh, fucking weird. I know you are. It's fine. You're my weird. I'll claim you, <laughs> but, but so anyway, uh, an- another funny thing, you know, uh, Lois rules or Lois, she like colors, you know, she calls herself Lois rules a lot at the house, you know, uh, cause she's really into this ever since she has seen the signs, uh, on WrestleMania and recently on SmackDown. Uh, she, uh, she's a big Republican, oh. big time Republican. I can't believe we're talking about politics right now. Okay, I'll just, the only thing I'll, I'm just going to give you a story here. Uh, ultra right wing. I'm I'm not political at all either way. And I, when I, when she when she rips on the Democrats, I say, do you realize, sweetie, we made our most money when Bill Clinton was in the White House? Oh, and she has no comeback for that. So okay, let's so it just par- goes to show you. It goes to show you, everybody out there. It doesn't matter who the president is. Bust your ass. Work hard. Make money. Be yourself. Come on. Just say, when it goes to politics, you know what you say? 
fuck them. <laughs> okay, you redeemed it. So we, we got uh, Roddy Piper out as our special guest referee. And here comes the Macho Man, who is uh, recently feuded uh, just six days prior with Hulk Hogan. They're uh, picking up their feud again. And he's not going to be taking on Hulk Hogan here, though. He's going to be taking on Bret Hart. And we've had lots of requests to talk about Bret Hart in WCW. And we haven't covered a lot of his stuff. We have seen a few shows that he was on. And no matter how many times I watch it, it's still a little weird seeing Bret Hart in the WCW ring. Yeah, it's because, uh, I mean, he doesn't belong here. He belongs up north. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's not that I'm not trying to say that, Hey, we're WCW. You don't belong. It's just, he doesn't belong here. He's not one of our guys. I mean, he looks the same as he looked in the WWF, same colors, same everything. Hulk Hogan's changed himself up a little bit. The macho man has a little bit, but, uh, again, it's, it's all about star power here. And you got Bret Hart and the Macho Man and Roddy Piper. How about that for star power in the ring? I mean, it's the most star power you can fit, especially considering what's going to happen in just a moment. I guess we should tell you this match is going to go 16 minutes and 38 seconds. And uh, Meltzer didn't hate it, but he didn't love it. He gave it two and a half stars. We're going to have a schmoz finish, which is going to be addressed the next night on television. That's going to set up Hogan and Bret Hart taking on Roddy Piper and Savage as the June 14th pay-per-view from Baltimore. At least that's the plan. Um, I feel like we should also mention here that there's a lot of other goings on uh, in the company that maybe we should talk about, including maybe the most interesting thing we're going to talk about this entire episode. This is directly from the observer. Perhaps the most important news, easy for me to say, perhaps the most important news coming from all this was that Bischoff's personal secretary, Janie Engel, a longtime WCW office employee, quit this last week to take a job with the WWF, joining Lynn Brent, who worked in PR, who made a similar career move. Actually, Engel is the third front office employee over the past weeks to quit, apparently at least partially because people are dropping from the internal pressure. Engel is believed by some to have made the switch because of her longtime connections to the Funk family but she has extensive knowledge of how Bischoff and WCW operates both the positive and the negative, but also extensive knowledge of contracts of WCW wrestlers. And at this point, it still appears that barring major changes in WCW, the heart of the promotion will as a group be heading North in late 1999. Now the very next week, Janie Engel is in the news again. It's written in the observer, Janie Engel, the secretary for Eric Bischoff, who quit last week to take a similar job with the WWF was given a huge pay increase and changed her mind and is now staying with some expecting her to get a promotion when it comes to her job title and work more closely with Dr. Harvey Schiller, supposedly in making major decisions within the company. Contrary to what was reported here last week, the funks had nothing to do with her move. Engel had served in the office of WCW And before that, with Jim Crockett promotions dating back to the mid eighties, several members of the WCW front office have quit in recent weeks, including Lynn Brent to go to the WWF with her husband, Dennis and Felicia Hamilton, who was in charge of handling television ratings, demographics, etc. 
When Brent quit, Eagle made it known that she was interested in leaving and through Jim Ross, who she had known since 1987, when both worked for Crockett's Dallas office, negotiated a deal to go to the WWF. Her situation, apparently because she has a lot of inside knowledge of the affairs of WCW with the lawsuit outstanding, made it a major piece of business for WCW to keep her. What an interesting story of hokey pokey lawsuits, espionage, man, this is fucking wrestling in 1998. Is it not? Yeah, it is. Do you know Janie Engel at all? I, I do not. I've never met her. Uh, Janie, uh, you know, has since done a little bit in wrestling. She helped, uh, Greg price organize uh, the NWA fan fest. Uh, and, uh, she's, uh, I've known Janie forever. I still stay in contact with Janie. Janie was the nicest, hardest working girl ever. You know, she, she came, she came to Jim Crockett promotions with, uh, with the sale of the UWF and Janie was when this went down and we understood that Janie was leaving, Janie was just overworked and was feeling the pressure of what was going on. Uh, I don't think Eric was bad to her at all. As a matter of fact, when Eric found out that Janie was leaving, he really, really was upset and was really down about it. And that's why he turned around and offered her stuff to keep her to uh, get her to stay. Yeah. She knew the inner workings of WCW. She knew that, uh, all about contracts and everything. But the reason that we wanted Janie Engel to stay was that she was well steeped in wrestling and was just a damn good person. She was, she, and she still is. Uh, and I remember hearing that thinking, holy shit, Janie, what are you doing? And I talked to Janie and she said, I, I can't talk about it. And you know, Janie and I talked a lot and she said, I can't talk about it. And still to this day, she doesn't really talk that much about it. But, uh, Janie was an important part of us. It was kind of like the, I, I would say that Janie was close to being the heart and soul of the office and losing her would have affected us more than just her inside knowledge. It would have probably brought the office morale way, way down. Janie Engel is an interesting character, you know, sort of behind the scenes. You know, she's one of those people we don't really hear about, but, um, she's from West Texas and in 85 decided to follow her dream to work in professional wrestling, moves to San Antonio, Texas, and does uh, event coordination and travel planning and then moves to Dallas and then on to Atlanta. She first comes to Atlanta in 89, where she starts with world championship wrestling she eventually becomes talent relations manager and coordinates a lot of other events for fundraising for charities and whatnot. In 01, she moves to Tampa, Florida, uh, briefly for wrestling and then manages to bounce back to Dallas and takes a course in business operations management and then decides to, um, move and manage a travel agency. And, uh, that includes a stop in Salt Lake city. And then Ben 04 is hired by Hulk Hogan to move back to Florida and run his business office, which would mean he would be the personal, she would be the personal assistant for the entire Hogan family, including right. Hogan's 85 year old mother at the time. So she would spend a lot of her time taking Hogan's mom, Ruth to the doctor, the grocery store, just spending time with her. So she is well thought of by a lot of people in the wrestling business, but for whatever reason, people don't really talk about her a lot. 
Um, she wound up doing a lot of work uh, with the elderly, uh, Christian ministries, assisted living, associated. She still things. does. Yeah. So a great, a great person by all accounts. But uh, the, she finds herself in the middle of a pretty major promotional war here in 1998. What do you remember hearing about her leaving and coming back? And uh, did you have conversations with her at the time about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I, I talked to her. She wouldn't talk to me about it. And uh, Janie and I talked. We were very friendly, very, very friendly. Talked a lot. She and I would not talk. She would not talk about it with me. And still to this day would, would not. When I talked to her about it, she kind of like has nothing much to say about it. But I can tell you this. She has said something to me about working for Hulk Hogan's family. And? And she and she feels it was one of the biggest mistakes she's ever made. Really? Yeah. Why is that? It just was not a good situation. Uh, because I think that she was working for the family when the marriage ended. I see. So the wheels were coming off and it was probably chaos. Right. right. And, and she hasn't told me that, but she just, uh, it just was not a good time for her. And then I put two and two together. No. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so you know, there's a lot, you know, uh, I'm telling you, Conrad, if you ever want anybody to help you out with anything wrestling related, she's the lady, man. Chat me up about, you know, what the situation is. You know, I know you're saying she didn't really want to talk about it and I get that, but did you have a conversation with Bischoff? I mean, how does she find herself in the Eric Bischoff personal secretary role and then winds up moving up and working with Harvey Schiller? She was with us. She was Dusty's assistant as a booker. She was all always there in the office doing whatever it takes, was a great person to deal with, was great on the phone. Uh, and not only that, you know, when you when you think of somebody as an executive secretary, a person, you think of somebody that's that has this uh, bubbling type A personality. She was a down to earth person that just everybody loved and migrated to. Uh, but she also took no bullshit as, as well. And when Eric took over the company, the first thing he did, and in my mind, office-wise, was to get, uh, to get her to be his secretary or to get her to work closely with him. And when this went down, I think Eric was personally hurt by it, not because – not because of where she was going or what she knew, but because of what he thought of Janie as a person. And he was personally hurt by it, and he was down because of it. And I remember him being down, and I remember it really weighing heavy on his mind until he finally came up with something. Harvey Schiller loved her, too. So it wasn't – it was, and Harvey Schiller was a very difficult guy to deal with. Man, the general was something else. So he liked her, too, so it was very easy for him to accept her in – to working with him uh, when she had her deal restructured. I'm, I'm just fascinated by this whole thing where, you know, she's just been around the wrestling business a long time and so well thought of, and she finds herself in this sort of, I don't know, kind of weird spot. Well, I mean, how many, you look, how many other people behind the scenes in wrestling, sorry to say this, a female to boot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is this well thought of? And is also is kind of in the middle of a, uh, is kind of in the middle of a of a contract war like the boys would be. It's crazy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's just, 
I don't think there's another story like that out there and nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And some of that's because she won't talk about it. No, she won't. But you just, you got to meet Janie and sit down and talk to her immediately. You sit down and talk to her and you think, man, this is a good person. This is a genuinely good person. She never had an, she never had an agenda. She always tried, you know, look, Janie and I, Janie and I travel a lot on the road with the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And it would be Doug Dellinger driving or me driving and Janie and Dusty and Dusty would be in one of his moods and she would say, I hate it when he's like this. That son of a bitch. I hate it when he's like this. She has a real Southern voice. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, Dusty loved her. Everybody that ever worked with her loved her from Dusty to Eric, to me, to Harvey Schiller. Vince would have loved her too. Although I get the feeling in the back of their mind, Vince would have pulled her away and, and misused her or wouldn't have used her correctly or wouldn't have loved her like we did. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. In other words, I got her away from me. Ha 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 ha. And now you go in this little office, we'll shut the door and we'll call you at seven o'clock at night and let you come out. Don't talk to the boys. Don't have anything to do with booking. Just look at these numbers. You, um, does that sort of the way you felt about Vince McMahon? I mean, I feel like you're sort of sharing your thoughts that, you know, maybe Vince wasn't as genuine or friendly or sincere. Uh, he wasn't as genuine and as friendly or sincere as Janie Engel was. There was a part of me that always thought that Vince did things to hurt WCW, uh, more than he just did to help his business. Well, I mean, wasn't he doing that in response to like Eric Bischoff giving away nitro raw results on nitro? Well, maybe he was, but also, you know, this battle started way before Eric Bischoff. Sure. Started in the, it started back in the Crockett era. Do you think he signed you to hurt WCW more than help WWF? No, no. I really think he signed me. I really think he signed me because he thought that I was going to be his next announcer. And then when I got there, he didn't like me. Hmm. He really didn't. I mean, Bruce told you that when, uh, that when I got there, he didn't like me at all. So that, and then he, he grew tired of me and then I left and then he was pissed off about that. And it was just, it just didn't work out. So I don't know. Man, Knowing I- how I am, if, if I would have stayed there, I would have stayed there unless he fired me. Cause once I get a job, I kind of hang out. I'm glad we're talking about this McMahon thing because it's in the observer around this same time. Here's exactly what Dave wrote. Okerlund apparently stated something that rubbed some people the wrong way to the effect that McMahon has lost all of his former friends over the years because of how he had treated them. The next day Ross responded, claiming that the WWF was going to fire Okerlund when his contract expired, but McMahon kept the news secret. In order to allow Okerlund to sign a big money deal with WCW, thinking they were stealing a valuable WWF star. He talked about Eric Bischoff's challenge, stating that McMahon was at his daughter Stephanie's college graduation in Boston that day, as if he had something more important to do, almost as if that was the reason he didn't appear in Worcester, when the truth was he wasn't at the graduate that if he wasn't at the graduation, he wouldn't have been in Worcester anyway, because the whole situation is stupid to begin with. He then asked, this is JR, what the qualifications were to be a nitro girl. 
and in specific brought up the tall brunette known as whisper and hinted about actions of people in executive positions at Turner and that their actions, if they came out would be very unfortunate to those in power and teased that some very interesting things could result from it. It should be noted that while those who don't know anything about wrestling gossip would probably construe that meaning Bischoff in this case, it was not meant as an implied threat towards Bischoff. Although it is just a reflection of just how nasty on both sides, this has become. Yeah. Of course, we know Whisper would go on to marry Shawn Michaels, WWF champion. Um, right. Still married today. Still married today and a uh, very successful marriage and a couple of kids and roll tide and good for them. What was the insinuation here? And what do you make of JR sort of uh, burying Mean Gene here? Wow. I, I just see it as standard sour grapes from the wwe yeah that's that's all listen you're telling me gene oakland was still very good at this time absolutely he was still very much in his prime you're trying to tell me that he wasn't a valuable member of the wwe i think he was i know he was and he brought a he brought a man he brought some more sizzle to us buddy Oh, absolutely. Some more sizzle. Do you think that's Jr. saying that because he wants to shit on Gene and, and jump to McMahon's defense? Or do you think McMahon yells to Jr. God damn it. Put something out there. Tell him this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Vince McMahon. God damn it. Put something out there. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and again, this, uh, this show's fucking depressing. <laughs> is it? it is. It is because look, there were great people on both sides. And wrestling in its at its core, wrestling at its core is a wonderful business. God, you and I, look how much time we spend in wrestling, talking about wrestling. The silly fun but, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just at its core is wonderful shit. But then again, the politics and the and the behind the scenes maneuvering and the bad blood and the arrogance and the the backstabbing just you know i guess that's in every business but not every business has a dirt sheet newsletter stooge like dave melcher bring it out in the forefront either golly man you're just on a witch hunt for him today <laughs> sorry ah uh, sorry but anyway uh yeah let's not get depressed man we've got a great main event still to come well, let's talk, let's talk about what's going on here. We've got Elizabeth talking to Piper. Savage is going to push Piper from behind. They're in a little bit of a shoving match. We see Bret Hart in the corner loading up that big right hand. It gets to his feet. Bam! Nut shot right onto Macho Man. And he clocks Piper from behind with the loaded right hand. Bret Hart is a heel here. Of course, he comes into the company a few months prior uh, as a super baby face. How about Hogan doing the run in here? Looking very un-Hogan like. Shoves Miss yeah. Elizabeth out of the way. Clips the good leg of Randy Savage, but then slams the bad leg, which has a brace around it, around the four around the post. And there's the sharpshooter. And Piper, instead of counting the tap out, 
sees that Savage had the loaded hand and assumes that's who hit me. So you're DQ'd because you hit me. Bret Hart's your winner. And there you see Hogan crawling away, looking very un-Hogan like. Kind of a convoluted finish that you would think that, well, you wouldn't think, you know, this was all designed by Hogan. He booked this whole finish here. Well, and according to the rumor and innuendo, if Hogan made an appearance on a pay-per-view, he got a huge chunk of money. So here he's not even advertised, but he manages to get himself on there to get a giant payday. Good for him, I suppose. Yeah. Again, booked by Hogan. I feel like we should mention the next night they're in Providence, Rhode Island. They draw a sellout 9,770 fans. They do an incredible record, $277,555. And the show, of course, opens with who else? Eric Bischoff doing an interview saying he's two and oh, and, uh, he's going to start a winning streak that will last longer than Goldberg who on this night, uh, went to 88. No, now the report we got in the observer from fans who wrote to Dave was that they were furious about this nitro. Uh, they paid $35 for what they expected to be three hours of television and really just got one hour and a few dark matches. Meltzer would write WCW literally has tried to get into that building for years and did business when they finally got in and then they burned themselves in the city with this show. Although when wrestling is hot, normal rules as it regards to killing cities don't really apply. Did you ever feel like that? Like when you, you mentioned earlier, Hey, we're drawing great here in the Northeast like this, when you see them do like some silly finishes or silly booking, do you think, Oh fuck, we just we screwed the pooch here. No question. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that we were screwing the pooch. And this was one of the things that started us on a downtrend. And it's one of the major things that started us on a downtrend as well. You can't fuck you can't fuck fans over. You can't fuck fans over when they lay out their money. Well, let me tell you, they are not fucking the fans over at To Be The Man. The foul-mouthed, boozed-up bruisers of the graphic novel series To Be The Man are back, and they're kicking Evil's ass in and out of the ring. And if you didn't hear Bruce talk about To Be The Man in the morning, deuce. To Be The Man, Evil Ain't Good is an action-packed, gorgeously illustrated, and batshit crazy new comic about two hooch-fueled pro wrestlers. If you're a fan of crude humor, decapitated demons, and 1980s pro wrestling, you're going to love this thing. Tony, have you seen it? What'd you think? Well, Conrad, I think it might just be the greatest pro wrestling comic book in the history of our sports. Fuck right, it is. Chapters one and two of To Be the Man are available now on Amazon and To Be the Man Comic.com. So follow To Be the Man Comic on social media and get your copy of To Be the Man Evil Ain't Good today, brother. That's to be the man comic.com and follow them on social man at to be the man comic. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have those guys. Uh, their illustrations of Ric Flair are pretty fun. Yeah, they are. That's great shit, man. So great Scott shit. Hall here has been kept off pay-per-view or kept off TV for a few weeks here. They've been promoting this, but he's not been on TV and he got a major stars ovation when he comes out. Of course, dusty and Nash first. Scott Hall out last if he's been kept off TV because he's had some personal problems and people are cheering for him, but he's a big star and they're excited to see him. So he wasn't on nitro the prior six days or the week before that, even though they're promoting him here. So the fans are really, really into this. And we see 
Brian Hildebrand in the background, who's had a tough year, uh, but he's battling cancer and just recently got married to his longtime girlfriend. So an interesting time in Hildebrand's life. Yeah, I really, uh, you know, we've, we've done enough downers here in this show. So, uh, talking about Brian brings us down as well because he was a great kid, but you know what that look, look at that shot of those three, uh, Hall and Nash had such a presence. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Just, I mean, did they just, they're stars, they're stars. It's what uh, Scott Hall would call machismo, right? Or whatever. But it it was legit. You know, it is a weird thing because in wrestling, it's always been said, you know, it, does he have it? Does she have it? Do they have it? There's no question that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had it for days. Absolutely. It, 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 a couple of things, obviously they went and they became diesel and they became razor Ramon and they became stars over there. But to be able to become a star, you got to have something in you to make you that star. Some guys, uh, some guys have it thrust upon them and they don't know what to do with it. These guys knew what to do with it. Well, and, and you know, this sounds weird, but they're just cool. You know, they come out to cool music. They dress cool. They have cool, you know, mannerisms. They just, uh, they present themselves in a way where they're not out here trying to be something. And I feel like a lot of times guys come out and they're, you know, they're trying to be angry and I'm trying to be, you know, this thing or come on guys. Yeah. Woo. Right. Meanwhile, these guys are, they're just being, they're not trying to be, they're just being, and, and they're so comfortable in this role that you just can't help but think. Man, these fucking guys are cool. Well, I thought the giant was pretty cool as well. No, I'm not arguing that, but to me, but, but not, to, not like cool. that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why that is, but th- there's always been a handful of guys who are just like the rock. He's just cool. There's just a handful right. of guys who are just cool. And it always chuckled. You know, I can always get a good chuckle out of dusty roads because Lord knows that man loved that fucking red leather vest. I got a one or a jacket rather. I got to wonder if Michelle still has that because he rocked that thing with you guys in like 92 in WCW and he was doing commentary with you all the way through the end. It was like his, Oh, it's a big pay-per-view. Let me get my fucking red leather jacket out. <laughs> it's like the classic dusty roads, uh, piece of attire to me. And what a big pop here for sting. It feels like light years prior to this, but you know, six months prior to this, man, he's the hottest dude in wrestling, beating Hulk Hogan at Starcade. He's in the main event here, but it does feel like all that momentum is gone here, does it not? Well, it is gone here, and whose fault is that? Not his, right? Yeah, it's got to be the booking committee, as you would say. Right. I mean, it's it is the uh, it's creative. <laughs> it's creative that you know uh, made Sting. I mean, there's still Sting fans. You, you can see that, but yeah, he's not he's not Hall and Nash right now. Sort of a weird deal here because Sting has always just positioned himself as being on his own and not really a member of the NWO. But he's tagging here with a member of the NWO Black and White, the Giant, to take on two members of the Wolf Pack, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, who were seconded or thirded, as it were, uh, by Dusty Rhodes. 
we got a good shot of the tag team title just a minute ago there. I feel like I should mention to everybody. We actually have a picture of that on Facebook and maybe on Twitter too, because the WWE still has one of those belts in their warehouse. And, uh, we had an opportunity to see that up close and personal and it's present form in 2018. And if you'd like to see what that belt looks like today, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And to start us off here, it's going to be sting and Scott hall. And of course, Scott has the toothpick in his mouth, such a little thing, but always one of my favorite Scott hall isms to take the toothpick and throw it in the other guy's face. Nothing like it. You saw it coming. You looked the other way. He would, <laughs> Oh God. See, look the other way. Don't love it. Give everybody a uh, time cue here. Let them know where we're at. Yeah, I'm a, again, I'm a little bit behind you. I think I'm at 228, 58, 59, 229, 01, 02. They're just locking up. 03, 04, shoulder block, 05. So that's where I am. So you're a little bit ahead of me on yours, I believe. But we're in the same general area, and we're not calling spot by spot. Hey, do you want to hear me call spot by spot and really screw up spots and really screw up maneuvers? And really show you that how long I've been out of the business. Tune in to MLW Fusion on BN Sports Friday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern. Because I'm just getting back into that shit, man. <laughs> they got a name for every move now. I got to figure it out. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you something new you can figure out here, Tony. I don't even know that I've shown you this. You're in front of your computer, although it's clearly behind. I want to show you something cool. Pull this up, boxofgimmicks.com. I'll give you a minute to type that in. Okay. Boxofgimmicks.com. How do you spell gimmicks? G-I-M-M-I-C-K-S. C-K, I know that. I was just trying to be funny. By the way, the WWE production people who came to my house, uh, they love that word. What, gimmicks? Oh, it's their favorite. Yeah. All right, so you at boxofgimmicks.com? Are they are they are they all young kids? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. What the fuck do they know? Um Whoa! Holy holy motherfucker shit! So click on collections, the third tab over, and go yeah. down to WHW, click on that. Uh-huh. Okay. And tell everybody what you see when that pop when that pops up. Okay, I see some koozies. And the koozies say Bill's glass bottom boat ride tours, low key big hog. We got the WC WHW belt. I mean, uh, we've got we got a number of uh, of shirts. I'm a young uh, with sleeves and sweatshirts and coffee mugs. Wait, Holy something! Scroll down sec- huh? oh, second to the bottom. Look <laughs> at that row. Right? What do you see there? We have a low key big hog baby onesie. For 12 months. <laughs> Can you believe that's uh, real life? Oh, my God. On page two, we've got pullover hoodies, quarter zip sweatshirts, a pullover V-neck windshirt, a coffee mug, um, beer steins. I mean, all kinds of fun stuff in here. Polos, whatever you're looking for. Travel mugs and stainless steel. Literally lots of fun stuff. Baseball jerseys because you know you got baseball. We got the Tommy Young one. We got the Loki Big Hog. But my favorite things on the whole deal, in order, are Bill's Glass Bottom Boat Ride Koozie, the Loki Big Hog Koozie, 
Bill's glass bottom boat ride beach towel and a low key big hog baby onesie. I don't even have a need for a baby onesie, but that shit is awesome, dude. I know there's a lot of people out there that will have a need for a baby onesie, and man, that is the fucking bomb, Conrad. The uh, the blue Bill's bottom uh, glass bottom boat ride koozie to me is the coolest thing ever because you could take that to the beach, to the lake, wherever you're going on vacation. And nobody knows what it is, but you know what it is. And it's it's a such a cool collectible. Slide you a cold beer in there, roll tide. The beach towel, just outstanding. And let me tell you, if you're a single dude rolling to the beach, maybe you're college age, you're gonna do something with your buds this summer. Low key big hog for a beach towel, hard to beat. Hard yep. to yep. beat. And if you're that a barbecue start the team, conversation. Yeah, there's a big barbecue competition this time of year every year in Huntsville. I think uh, Loki Big Hog would be a tremendous barbecue team name. And you could use this as your koozie and get your beach towels and your t-shirts. Lots of fun stuff. It's boxagimmicks.com. Check it out for yourself. Uh, you can also see stuff on there from 83 Weeks, Something to Wrestle, and even StarCast, which the rumor and innuendo is something you and I are going to participate in. And I sort of ran some ideas by you about what if we did this? What if we did that? Give everybody a tease of what we might be doing at Starcaster. How would you describe it without spoiling it? Without spoiling it, uh, Conrad and I love to uh, rack up a, a show like we're doing right now and watch along with you and commentate on it. Uh, there just could be at Starcast, Conrad and I racking up a show, watching it, and some participants sitting mm. there with us. Hmm. Some of the participants of the match mm-hmm. sitting there with us. I don't hate that idea. So check it mm, out. Starcast.com. I think tickets are going on sale next week and they've already announced you as being there. And, uh, I think they've got like road warrior animal lined up and X-Pac and a lot of folks lined up to come to this. So uh, apparently it's the premier wrestling podcast thing this year. And it's going down in Chicago over Labor Day weekend. Uh, you've heard about the all in show with Cody Rhodes and the young bucks. Uh, what do you, what do you think about that? Those guys sort of self-promoting their own deal. Uh, I, you know what? I just absolutely love Cody. Uh, I have a, a, a great affection for his family and I, I, I just wish them the best of luck. I, I know they're going to do well to me. It, it just tells me, it tells me, and it, it does my heart good that there's much, 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 much more out there. And that's very, very good than just the WWE. I'm not trying to shit on the WWE by saying that, but but when he took over the entire business, when Vince McMahon took over the entire business, everybody thought, oh my gosh, he's got a monopoly on the business and everything is going to go to shit. That's not him. Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks are proving that's not the case. And MLW is proving that's not the case. Uh, I think wrestling right now, it's better. It's as good as it's ever been. It's worth mentioning, I guess, uh, so far announced for this Starcast thing, Cody, young bucks, Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, X-Pac road warrior, animal, Sean Mooney, Colt Cabana, Tony Schiavone, Jerry, the King Lawler, uh, quite a lineup rolling. So, uh, I know we get lots of questions about when are you guys doing a live show? Well, turns out we're doing one Labor Day weekend, Chicago, starcast.com to pick up your tickets. Uh, let's go back to the action here. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the outsiders have been on top as a tag team at this point in the company for about two years. 
Of course, uh, we saw Scott Hall debut in late May of 1996. And uh, just a couple of weeks after that, Kevin Nash was in. And in short order, these guys win the tag team championship, I think, that year at Halloween Havoc. And they've been sort of wreaking havoc on WCW ever since. And one of their nemesis, uh, you know, the, that entire time is uh, Sting, who's taking quite the beat down here and getting cheered along from uh, Big Show in the corner, who's begging for the hot tag. You know, when I look at this and knowing what the finish is going to be, I wondered sometime that in the course of why we went down and why things went down as quickly as they did, I just wonder if we, you know, the the term hot shot. Yeah. I, I just think we did a lot of hot shotting, turning guys against each other, turning guys heel, turning guys baby faces, and didn't let them establish enough being together. In other words, I think Hall and Nash should have been a tag team for much, much longer than they really were. And I, I just think that we did a lot of switching back and forth and this guy becoming babyface, this guy turning on this guy. This It just was a lot of hot shotting going on that we really didn't need to do. You know, back in, <laughs> shit, here, back in the day when I would watch wrestling, back in the 70s, a heel was a fucking heel. <laughs> and he stayed a fucking heel until maybe three years down the road. And he stayed such a heel for so long, I had five different girlfriends by the time he became a babyface. And that's the way it was, and we liked it. We're going to need to name that voice. Can we come up with a name for that voice right now? (laughs) That'd be the angry old man, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But really, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, Hulk Hogan turning heel. Yeah, that's a big moment. But then this guy turning on this guy and the dusty turning heel. And, and now we're going to see, uh, I don't want to run it for you, but hell, it happened years ago. Scott Hall turns on Kevin Nash and, you know, uh, just, uh, I don't know, just a lot of switcheroos. Too many. To me. It's crazy. And that's the way it was. And we liked it. I, I love you for that. I, I stole that from uh, Dana Carvey, by the way. So he doesn't know I'm alive. This match um, gets a dud rating. Yeah. But the finish apparently leads to uh, Kevin Nash suffering a legit concussion. So stay tuned for that. Okay. M- Meltzer would write right after this. No word on what they're doing with the tag belts. Bischoff in the past has talked about dropping the belts altogether as he thinks tag teams are passe. You're yep. sort of old school, grew up as a fan of the Crockett territory where tag teams were really a huge part of the business. So you probably grew up loving tag teams. I assume you take a different position than Eric Bischoff here. Yeah. You know, and I, and I knew that Eric didn't like tag team belts and I, you know, I, I didn't really push back against that because again, I was kind of a yes man, but I didn't like it at all. I thought that tag team belts were were tremendous hell conrad (laughs) here we go again i remember in 1978 the greensboro coliseum they had stripped rick flair and greg valentine of the world tag team championship so what did they do they had a one-night tournament for the world tag team championship and they sold the greensboro coliseum smack dab out and the reason i know is i was there and i had ringside tickets so it meant something it drew money it didn't draw money compared to a world title or a u.s title but it was tremendous. And when you had great tag team champions, 
man, you could do a lot with that. Do a lot with that. You know, tag team wrestling lended itself, and this is logical, lended itself to a little bit more excitement because here's a guy like Sting selling, and he's selling, and he's selling, and you want him to make that hot tag, right? And right. that, you know, get that gets the fans to popping. So there was a lot of excitement about it. And here the fans are clapping for Sting to come back. Come back. Make the tag, motherfucker. Come on. You can do it. Get over in the corner. Let's go. Tag him. Look at Brian Hildebrand, man. He is clapping with him, you know, and Sting coming back. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the tag team belts, man. I love the tag. And I don't know why, Eric, the only the reason I thought, did he make the tag? No, he didn't make it. Or he did. Well, I didn't get the pop. He should have. You know why? I don't think they sold it quite well enough. I always thought I always thought crawling to the hands and knees to and then dragging him back, crawling on your hands and knees and dragging him back. But, you know, as Meltzer said, this match is a dud, so who gives a fuck? Um, but I don't know why Eric didn't like tag team titles. Maybe it's because he didn't think he had enough good tag teams to make it worthwhile. I don't know. But they, they've outlet they've stood the test of time, haven't they? They got a tag team championship in uh in WWE on both sides. It's pretty, and pretty Conrad pretty... talks in three, two, one, talk. Here I am. I didn't go anywhere. I was letting you do your deal. I appreciate your ranting and I and I want to sort of smarten everybody up about what we're doing in the upcoming weeks because uh, this show is coming to an end, but I do want to let everybody know that we've got your next couple planned out and I'm pretty excited about this. Are you in the loop on what we're doing here? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I am, but I'm sure I forgot. Well, there you go. Let's, <laughs> let's run through it next week. It's one of your favorites. Are you ready? Yeah. Capital combat 1990. Oh Robo-Cop. my God. Robocop. Don't miss this shit. The week Please after don't. that Slambury 1993, a legends reunion. Uh, so that's coming to you on May 14th and May 21st, May 28th. We're going to round out May with the May 26th, 1996 edition of Monday Nitro where Scott Hall debuts. We just recently talked about the creation of the NWO with, uh, Scott Hall or with, uh, Eric Bischoff rather on 83 weeks. So check out 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff and Tony, I'm going to let you call the, uh, the finish here. Cause this is a pretty dramatic moment in WCW storyline history. Yes, uh, big sexy ticks down the top, ready to go for the big power bomb. Dusty Rhodes has the attention of the referee, and this really shocked the world. Boom! Scott Hall turns on big sexy, and I guess that was the moment where he got the concussion. Laid it in one, two, three, sting in the giant are the tag team champions sting with a great job of the shock look on his face. Can't believe what he's seen. It shocked us all fans still want the ultimate warrior to come back. <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for. And there you see it, the hug and they have done in Scott Hall, dusty Rhodes in on it as well. Sting still not so sure of what is fucking going on, but sting is a world tag team champion reluctantly so it you know it it was a pretty good story storyline to kind of end the show with 
It was a dud of the match, but again, Conrad, it goes back to what we were talking about. Not a, it's not always the match. It's the drama that makes it what it is. And NWO fans are fucking stunned, aren't they? Yeah, nobody because knows what to make of this. I mean, Dusty pulls his red jacket off, and uh, it's clear, though, that he is uh, he's with the NWO black and white and not the Wolf Pack. And Sting, who was sort of the reluctant tag team partner of the Giant to begin with, is now faced with an even bigger decision. And as we go off the air, you're reminding everybody about the next pay-per-view being the great American bash. And that sort of wraps up slam I got to tell you, and I'm not, you know, obviously I wasn't there and I'm not a doctor, but it is pretty hard for me to imagine that Nash got a concussion from that, from the angle we saw, it looked like it hit him in the back, not the head. Um, you know, so what are you trying to say? I'm not saying he was faking it. I'm just, I mean, we didn't see the actual connect. I mean, we, Scott had his back to the hard cam, so Maybe he did hit him in the head, but normally when you hear a guy got a concussion, you expect, I don't know, something else. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, um, you want to, uh, you want to wrap up here? Anything else that we need to cover for you before we get out of here and put a bow on Slambury 1998? No, uh, you know, we are certainly, uh, I'm, I'm certainly excited about, uh, coming to Chicago, being with you on, uh, uh, Starcast and, uh, Boy, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a good year for us, man. It's going to be a good year for, uh, you know, you got Eric doing a, a show now. You got Bruce Pritchard. You got me with the silly shit that we do. If you want the inside information, listen to those guys. If you want silly shit, listen to me because that's why I am a silly shithead. Uh, having a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody who's uh, been laughing along with us. Hopefully we'll keep you entertained. And, and remember, unless you're Dave Meltzer, I don't mean any of this. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to entertain you. Pick up a shirt over at right. LoisRules.com or, you know, koozies or beach towels or uh, baby onesies, whatever, over at BoxAtGimmicks.com. And if you haven't already, check out StarCast.com. I guess we should tell everybody. I just checked the calendar. It looks like you're doing football. You got a fucking football game on Saturday, September 1st. So you won't be at All In and you won't be at StarCast on Saturday, but I think they're doing stuff Thursday night and Friday. So if you'd like to see Tony in Chicago, come check him out on Thursday and Friday of Labor Day weekend at StarCast. Let's all get together, have a great weekend, because why? Because we all love the business. We all love the history of the business. We all love the business the way it is. We all have an opinion on it, but we all love the business. Conrad and I are just like you guys out there. Man, we love it. And thanks so much for being with us. We're going to try to set up the uh, the live show, of course. We're going to do still Bruce Pritchard's gimmick that we created for that show, The Dirty Dozen. Let you guys have some sort of one-on-one time with Tony. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some silly stuff in in our stage show that we're going to do, but there'll be an opportunity for pictures, autographs, the whole deal. So later this week, check out StarCast.com for more details. I think tickets go on sale next week, but you can get some more information, I'm sure, later this week. And next week, man, we got RoboCop. Time permitting (laughs) this week, I'm going to try to talk Tony and to taking your questions live on Facebook about Slamboree 1998. We didn't get to your questions today, but we will try to get to them on Facebook as a little extra content over at facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. In the meantime, follow him on Twitter and you'll get absolutely no tweets. He will be the least bothersome follow that you have at Tony Schiavone 24. 
You can also follow at WHW Monday to keep up with the show updates. Shout out to our guys over there, Dave Silva and Dave Hancock for making us look good. And every now and again, Chris McDonald will crank out a hilarious video. So you don't want to miss that either. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and Tony. When I look at my clock, it feels like it's about that time. It's time for our tag team main event. It's Tony Schiavone, Conrad Thompson in a tag team spectacular against Dave Meltzer and the band director, special referee, Janie Engel. Shivani and Conrad are already in the ring. Whoa, look at the size of those two guys. And now making their way to the ring, Dave Meltzer and the band director. Meltzer has a shirt on. What does that say? That shirt says, boy, it says you can't fake hepatitis. Well, that's true, but you can't fake being a journalist. <laughs> we know that for sure. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Savek.com. Saving you money. You could get into a new home with no money down. LoisRules.com. T-shirts endorsed by Old Commentary Ninja. And Carl. I think it's time for Tony Giovanni to go to the nervous hospital. Mm-hmm. And by... No stems, no seeds that you don't need. Acapulco Gold is... Bad as weed. Uh, I think you got the wrong podcast there, guys. You're looking for something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Buy the new podcast, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. 83 weeks of kicking Vince's ass and making the Hulkster a whole lot of money. Buy boxofgimmicks.com. New stuff for you to enjoy while listening to What Happened When. And by the graphic novel series, To Be the Man. They're back and they're kicking Evil's ass in and out of the ring. Mm. I got a lawnmower blade with Tony Schiavone's name on it. Mm-hmm. All right, then. <laughs>